Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. 1857 is the number to call as always. The text, the WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Of course, Twitter is at opinionline96. And we're on the Cork's 96fm Facebook page. Pop us a message and mark it for the attention of the opinion line. There's 200 cases Saturday and 60-odd cases yesterday. We here in Cork certainly escaped lightly. Uh, we only had a handful of cases. I don't even know how many cases we got on Saturday, but we were at the lower end of the list, maybe one or two additional cases Saturday. I'll be doing the figures again in a minute. We seem to be escaping the worst of what's going on up the country, which can only be good news. And I think it's probably our job our job, yours and mine, to make sure that that continues. And we certainly don't want any scenes like happened at the Berlin Bar. What on earth was wrong with them in that place Saturday afternoon? And please don't give me young people have to have fun. Young people do have to have fun, but not that kind of fun in the middle of a pandemic. Sorry, lads. Not to mind the Cork man who told us all stay at home for our holidays and then effed off to Italy for his own holidays green list or no green list he shouldn't have done it it's been an interesting weekend my friends good morning Fiona Corcoran a a young parent had a horrifying experience in Clonakilty yesterday afternoon we don't know whether it's connected to COVID-19 or not but tell us what happened will you good morning to you Good morning, PJ. Yes, this was an extremely unusual and bizarre situation that happened in Clonakilty over the weekend. Now, what we understand um, has happened is that Gardaí are investigating um, an incident where this woman and her toddler were walking up the street in Clonakilty, the main street, and they were approached by an elderly man who was described as being very well dressed. And it's alleged that he bent down and licked the young child's face. Now, he didn't explain his actions um, and the mother was obviously very distressed and people came to her aid and they contacted Gardaí. And the Gardaí came and they did speak to people who were at the scene, including the mother. And it's understood that they've also uh, gone to nearby businesses in that area, the main street in Clonakilty, and they have, or they are in the process of harvesting CCTV 
which they are going to view and um, have a look at this incident a little bit further. But, um, you know, you were talking about an interesting week. This is definitely a very interesting and unusual event to have happened to this young child. Now, a, the young a, a child... A um, stranger now, Fiona. She'd never seen the man before. She'd known who yeah. he was. God almighty. No, and nothing had happened between them beforehand. There had been no words exchanged. He just allegedly approached them and bent down and licked the child's face. Now, I think the mother initially thought that he was bending down to talk to the child. And then, um, you know, she she is alleged to have seen him lick the child's face. So now the child um, itself was um, described as being bemused by what happened. I suppose the young age of the child... um, would mean that it didn't really understand what was going on. But the mother obviously was very distressed, particularly um, that this happened in the middle of a global pandemic um, and there's such a fear around COVID-19 at the minute. So um, I understand the child is okay, but um, obviously it was a very distressing uh, incident for this mother um, and people, the Gardaí have been, as I said, they have been speaking to people and they are looking at CCTV footage and a file on the matter uh, will be prepared for the DPP. Now, no, nobody has been arrested in connection with this. But do, do, they, do they, they know who he is? Testing. Does anybody know who the man is? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, we haven't been told that information okay. yet. Um, but I suppose they're hoping that by looking at the CCTV, they'll him. be able to have, yeah, um, and maybe the Gardaí themselves know him. I'm not sure if he was a local man or if he was just a visitor to the town, which is obviously a very popular uh, tourist destination. But um, all the, the Gardaí are investigating it. And I suppose if anybody does have any information that they think will help Gardaí, they can contact them at Clonakilty Garda Station. Okay. Or indeed, uh, even the, the tip-off number, one eight hundred six 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 one one one. Thank you, Fiona. As always, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, on that bizarre story. So there you are, walking through lovely Clonakilty of an afternoon with your little kid, little toddler. Uh, and this fella, described as a well-dressed elderly man, bends down. You think going to talk to your toddler or say hello, as people will. What's he do? He licks her. Like a lollipop. Down the side of the face. Like, am I allowed to say that he'd spend the rest of the night picking up his teeth, having taken my size 11 shoe out of his mouth? If it were me. Am I allowed? Well, I just said it, whether I'm allowed to or not. 1850-715-996. Now, before I go to my next guest, oh, hold on. Uh, Mary, oh, sorry, Mary's on four. Thanks, guys. Mary, you wanted to say something about restaurants, what you see at the weekend? Yeah, it's just um, in general, like kind of thing. I don't think, as I said, I don't know what measuring tapes are being used in restaurants, but certainly two metres. Uh, two metres between tables. Nobody is sitting on tables. Right. People are sitting on chairs behind tables. Right. So we're talking about another 40 to 50 centimetres. Yes. Which brings it down to about a metre, a metre, probably a metre, yeah, if you take 50 and one. Yeah, yeah if you take, from each side. Yeah, but I suppose they're facing away from other which... Uh, you know, but you're, you're talking about service, you're talking about people walking up then between this gap. Children definitely are not being kept sitting down. Yeah. So they're running around in outdoor settings, which, do you know what I mean? In fairness, it's... It's going to, you cannot bring a child into a restaurant on their holidays, on their staycation, and expect them to sit rigidly in their seat for an hour and a half. Mm. 
I, I was in one at the week. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not, I've never been too sure about that one, Mary. I've never been too sure about that one. When, when my children were, were of that age, when we went to a restaurant... You timed your meal according to how oh, much listen, patience the I, children had. You didn't let them run around. Listen, I, I've walked miles with children in yeah. buggies and everything. One of us sitting at the table waiting yeah. for the order. I've, I've done it, but I'm sorry, I'm talking about... Not, it's, it's not unusual, if though. No, it's not. No, so, you know. But I think people need to get into their head. What is supposed to be between tables is the equivalent of two single-bed mattresses. If you could not put two single-bed mattresses between yourself and the next group of people, right. that is not social distanced. And you're sitting next to them for yeah. an hour and a half, and a lot longer. So there the is, the, the there unfortunate problem with it, Mary, is you do have to look at it from the point of view of the misfortunate restaurateurs who have uh, to try and keep their place open, do you know? Absolutely, but if they have committed to do it, to do this social distance, they have to do it properly. Okay. And that is the rising cases. Like, they're all blaming house parties, or they're all saying, oh, it's better to have them in restaurants than in house parties. It's not realistic, because the chances are you probably know the people at a house party far better than you do in restaurants. it It should perhaps be pointed out, and this is only up to it, including, say, last Friday, um, they, they haven't yet managed to contract contact trace any of the new cases yeah. back to restaurants. Right. Well, yeah, but I think it's uh, it's more the type of socialising that people yeah. are starting to engage, and it's spreading. It's, well, it's just relaxing well, the whole kind of... Well, the kind of madness that, that happened in that bar in Dublin at the weekend, anyway. Yeah, but, like, I've seen a, a local pub here which isn't particularly well run. I'm obviously not going to mention it. But, like, I saw a person absolutely staggering out of it. Now, you are never supposed to do serve people in a way and let them get into that condition in the best of times. It's you're not allowed is that is that am I correct in that? You're not supposed to serve somebody who's obs, who's drunk. No, that was never the key. You, you were never said, supposed to You yeah. were never supposed but they're still doing that and they always did do it in fairness. Are you going to restaurants yourself at the moment? Mary? I I've I was in one last week and I was just particularly interested to see it was kind of they were kind of complying but they were obviously trying to let their customers have a good time and yeah but there was definitely no way I could I was kind of saying we were in the outdoor would you be inclined to not go again I kind of would really it wasn't worth the as I say between the kids running around and even though the space was open there was definitely not two single beds between yeah us and other family group. And remember, that's there supposed to be on all with, sides. Yes, exactly, but there was all, uh, uh, another table with two plates of food completely untouched, and they were necking back drink, like, and, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now... Do you think there should be a limit on the amount of drink that people can have while they're having a, a meal? Possibly, like, it's, but then, like, it's getting well, yes, and if people... You're getting to nanny state, really. You're getting into nanny state, and then... The whole thing is there are publicans, and okay, we had an extreme case in Dublin, but there are publicans everywhere who are kind of turning a blind eye, they're kind of loosening it, and they kind of know that Johnny up the road is fine, and they're kind of giving him a bit more leeway, and... Yeah. Do you know, nobody actually knows if we were doing better when... Sorry, I missed you there. What did you say? I said we were doing better as as a group when... You know, things were... You're suggesting we should maybe consider closing them down again? Well, 
like or, or make them more act more like restaurants than pubs. Yeah. So just, like, just food, no drink. The, the food or uh, uh, maybe a little like I just could kind of publicans and you know just you know the the old thing like kind of thing you go into a pub and like when you go in for your meal they automatically bring around the drinks in front of you yes they do do you know what I mean first thing you're asked when you sit down is do you want a drink they hope that you might have at least two before you start your food yeah well in fairness most places you go I've been in a few places now and most places you go when you sit down you know do you want a drink yeah you know which and it's the drink they're making the money on in fairness like most in fairness I've paid like the restaurants, in fairness, don't seem to have put up the food prices. Not because a lot, they're to be fair, no, but, not a lot. But, no. So they're making their money on the drink. Like, that's what they've really made their money on. I've paid more for, I've paid as much for a takeaway fish and chips as I have for a plate of food in a pub. Yeah. The, yeah. the takeaways actually seem to have put up their prices. Yeah. Are you a bit fearful about going back into places, Mary, at the moment? I think you are. I think I, I'd love to see. I. I like I think everybody we need the schools like kind of thing and I know they're talking about the numbers employed look at the numbers that are employed in our schools mm. you know what I mean and okay grand they're all being paid full wages or whatever teachers or whatever are all being paid fully but like at the same time that's not sustainable in the long yeah. wouldn't we be more concerned like, looking at the meat factories though and see what the hell is going on there where it is running rampant well, yeah, like kind of, th- you know what I mean. Obviously, the cheap. I, I'd be. <laughs> I'm actually wondering about um, the meat I'm eating, even at this stage. I wouldn't worry too much about that. It's cooked, it's safe. Oh you know? yeah, but like you know what I mean. But just even the thought of kind of being prepared in a place that they can't even keep. Yeah, kind of I, a lot of people have said that, but to be fair, once you put meat oh, on the pan or in an oven, it's, it's completely safe, you know? There's a lot know, worse going through I, your meat. I, I, no, sorry, I don't, that's what I mean. I'm not so worried about getting COVID from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's but, the other kind, of, you yeah, know what I mean? And we're, 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 looking, we're now looking at very well done steaks in this. All right. Mary, I can see you're concerned about the distancing, and I think you're not the only one. You're just brave enough to speak out, which is good of you. Thanks for calling us on the opinion. That's Mary. 185715996. I was out myself on Saturday night and went out with, with family to, uh, to to Barry's in Douglas and, and we had a lovely a lovely evening. Um, the idea that you'd limit the, 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 the number of drinks that you can have with a meal, I'm not too sure I like that. That's a bit nanny state, I think. I'll ask my next guest that. Uh, among other things about the uh, upswing in cases, because I'm going to talk to Professor Ivan Perry, who is another one of the senior academics and professors calling for a zero COVID policy. Remember, they had gotten there in New Zealand and now Auckland is back in lockdown and they've gone to 50 cases. There is 30 or 50 cases over the weekend. So zero COVID is a delicate situation. Getting there is hard. Maintaining it is harder. But there's that group now that wants us to go there and stay there. And I'll talk to one of them next. 1857 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Aaron wants to draw our attention to new rules with regard to distancing in restaurants and she says where two meter physical distancing is not possible the guidelines say business is now allowed to implement a one meter rule in controlled environments once any other risk mitigation requirements have been met. Yes, Aaron, I was aware of that. I was aware of that when I was talking to Mary but thank you anyway. Uh, we were in a certain restaurant over the weekend. The servers were not wearing masks. We got a takeaway coffee Uh, An hour before our reservation, took a walk on the beach, had our meal, stayed an hour and 45 minutes. The table of lads that were there when we'd gone for coffee were still there when we were leaving with pint after pint coming out. And the lads were still pinting hard when we left. I was in a bar in Ballancolic last night, said this message. They were excellent. They followed all the rules. On receipt of my first drink, it stated the time I had to leave. And they even had a limit of three drinks per person was brilliant just to get out and have a couple of pints with the lads and that's from Adam thank you Adam 1850 with regard to safety inspections and small workplaces etc the only way to keep COVID at bay is for the safety checks to be done unannounced there's a lot of small units in industrial estates who employ 10 to 30 people usually in unsafe conditions the boss or manager is the COVID officer so they can't really complain to anyone how can the HSA, Health and Safety Authority, do a check properly if the bosses know they're coming? I've seen it happen. And the amount of things that are done on the day of the safety check is unreal. Once the check is done, everything goes back to the way it was until they're told of the next inspection. Well, that's a bit like when they say the Minister for Health is coming to the uh, accident and emergency department in the hospital. Sure, all you can smell is paint and bleach and there wouldn't be a person on a trolley to save their lives been happening for years a little panto we 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 continue to perform to, to let let us think it's all as it should be i'm going to talk to professor ivan perry who's the dean of public health at the school of public health in ucc and professor perry you're another one of the academics in the country who's calling for a zero covid policy and i put the same question to you again go on into i put the same question can we afford to do that and not face into an economic nuclear winter at the end of it? Well, I, 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 I suppose really the, the, the issue is, can, can, we, can we afford not to? Uh, because it's, 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 it's not really the, um, the uh, um, public health measures that, 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 that are, are pushing pressure on the economy. It's, it's the, the actual virus. And you mentioned... Um, few few moments ago and New Zealand with their zero COVID policy have had 100 days free free of the, the virus where life returned virtually to normal and this is in the, the middle of winter with um, packed um, stadiums for rugby matches and, and, and so on there's a, there's, a, there's a local outbreak now in um, Auckland mm. but the, the to get on top of that in 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 a, a matter of weeks, and we will then almost certainly return. Mm. And they think that came from freight rather than from people socialising or anything. Yeah, I think that there's a little bit of uncertainty as to where it came from. Freight was mentioned at the outset, and now there's a suggestion that there's some um, 
groups in their um, airport um, quarantine. So I, I don't think they fully nailed it nailed it, it down. Yeah. But, but I think but I think that the, 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 the point is that their policy is 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 not to try and live with the, the virus, but 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 to go all out to e, e, eliminate it. Yeah. And and <laughs> New Zealand is is an island, and they have certain advantages in, in that regard. But but we're an island also, and yes. we could do this with with North collaboration. Yeah. There's a lot of support. That's not the best line in the world, Professor. I might try and get get the lads to clear it up there if you could, but just just yeah, to bear with me for a second, we'll see where it goes. Um, Saturday evening, I think we all got a dreadful fright. Uh, fright, I think, is the word. I certainly got it. I was sitting in the kitchen, pottering around, and I saw the the numbers come up on my phone, and I thought two hundred nearly fell off my chair, and and we got a fright on Saturday, and and do you, are you worried we get more frights like that? Yes, I suppose we, that, that that is that is the worry. We, we, we had hoped that at, that in the middle of August we'd be down to very low numbers, uh, and um, but but the fact that the numbers are already creeping up doesn't all go well for where we'll be in 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 um, the, the end of September, October, November when the kids are back at school and, and, and so on, and we're all spending much more time indoors. So so, so I think we, we, we're we facing into a cr- critical uh, two weeks where we really need to redouble our efforts. And I was following the discussion there about about physical distancing in the restaurants, and I would certainly agree with the point of one of your speakers who was making that um, that the two-metre distance between tables is, 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 is not being fully... Um, implemented and that, that there is an, 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 an opt-out but, but, I, but I think it's, it's that sort of detail that we really, we really mm. to get, get back to being you know, um, absolutely obsessional into the physical distancing, the wearing of masks in, um, in public um, um, spaces and, and of course the, 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 uh, the hand hygiene and so on. Yeah, yeah. Heading into the winter, you made the point, as have others, that we will be getting in from the great outdoors into our homes, into heated offices and heated premises and into air conditioning. You know yourself, we're going to be, we'll be forced, social distancing is easy when you're outside, but inside it's not so easy. Yeah, Uh, that's right. And and I, I suppose in a way, this is why the Zero COVID Island group is a group of of um, scientists north in the UK. We're, we're saying we have a window of, of of opportunity now, and that the the government should change its strategy from trying to con- contain the the virus to to, to go for an all out elimination strategy, and that that may in, 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 involve some extra in the short but with, with significant put, put, put potential for um, long term gain and I suppose we, we have to bear in mind that the, the the prospects in terms of a vaccine um, are looking reasonably reasonably likely that 
of his vaccine t- t- towards the middle of next year. Yes. So we, 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 in a sense, have to figure out how we can get through the coming winter and when, we, when we've got the winter behind us, how we can manage the spring. So I think we, 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 we need to be, we need to be strategic here. And it's not a, a, a public health versus economy. If, if you look at the, at the US, where you have a president and an ad, ad administration who, who have prioritised the economy over public health. But this that that, that line is is, is fading badly on me Professor I'm going to leave it there and thank you very much for for joining us that's Professor Ivan Ivan Perry who is the Dean of Public Health at the School of Public Health at UCC unfortunately that line just not not sustainable anymore Uh, but thank you Professor Perry he's another one of the uh, group Uh, we've spoken as well to Professor Anthony Staines uh, in the past who want us to go bald-headed, as it were, for a zero COVID island and, and take whatever measures it would take to drive it down to zero, like they did in New Zealand, where you would take certain areas and they would say, right, well, say Cork and Kerry would be an area. Uh, there are no new cases and it's been clear of cases for, say, 12 days, 14 days. Then that becomes a green zone. Other parts of the country will be a red zone, an orange zone. And you impose restrictions based on the zones and you live in a different way depending on your zone. And you get to the point where eventually you're all green. And they say it's doable in a number of months. It's impossible to know whether it is not. I said I'd touch on the figures for you uh, with regard to Cork at the weekend. And I mentioned that figure of 200 on Saturday that frightened the living life out of all of us. What I've started doing is the 14-day figure, and I'm using the COVID-19 hub, and the the official COVID-19 information hub, the address of which I've given you, and I might give you again later. But the figures on this are updated about every 36 hours. So sitting down with the official graphs this morning, I did a, a plot with regard to Friday last. Okay, so... The 14-day figure for Friday last for Cork, for the city and county of Cork, the 14-day figure was 28 cases. The previous Friday, the 14-day figure was 20 cases. The 14th of July, going back a month, the 14-day figure was 10 cases. And in June, on the 14th of June, the 14-day figure was 16 cases. So we've gone from a low of 10 to a high of 28 in a month. Now, we had no new cases yesterday in Cork. We had a number of them on Saturday. but We don't know the number. It's a very small number. Uh, There were 20 cases distributed across 10 counties, including Cork. So we'll say possibly two confirmed for us on Saturday. Kildare had 81, Dublin 56. Tip had 13 there, very, being very careful about a factory there. Eight in Limerick, six in Leash and Galway, five in Kilkenny and Mead. So we've done well. We've done well in terms of cases and we, we didn't actually have anything to worry about in that 200 surge on Saturday. But will we escape the next one? 1850 If you have any thoughts as well on what Mary was saying about restaurants, 
and what the professor is saying about going to zero, drive it down to zero, regardless of what it takes. Do what it takes, because they say, listen, we can't afford not to do this. Now, Kevin was saying, look, he says, we've gone from a surplus of 7 billion to a minus of over 20. People want to shut down and go to zero. That's fine. It's laudable. But how are you planning to pay everything from nurses' wages to pensions? Which is a valid question. Let's go to the pubs, though. You'll have seen that... Now, it's not a pub as such. It's a restaurant. But let us remind ourselves of that those scenes in the Berlin Bar uh, in Dublin on Saturday afternoon. It was a brunch event. I think tickets were, I don't know, 20 quid or something, for which you got your food and you were guaranteed a certain amount of drink in the form of shots. And all hell broke loose and there was a party and there was music and there was people dancing. And there was a guy up on the bar counter pouring... It's like something to see in the worst excesses of Magaluf, pouring drink into people's open mouths as he walked along, right in the middle of a pandemic. And as you can imagine, people were livid about it and wondering what could be done about it and calling for the pubs and the restaurants to be shut down again or calling for the amount of drink that you can get while you're having your meal to be strictly limited. Michael O'Donovan is the chair of the Vintners Federation in Cork from the Castle Inn. Of course, Michael, your own pub, still still closed. What did you think when you saw the video from the Berlin Bar? Good morning. Oh, good morning, PJ. Um, I suppose, look, when we saw the video uh, appearing around 8 o'clock on Saturday night, I think it was, um, look, it was a real kick in the guts, I think, for those of us that are closed and even for pubs that are open. It was just indefensible. It was, it was just, it shouldn't happen. Um, I suppose coming on the day that we had run such a, uh, I suppose, a good campaign and seen the amount of empathy out there for pubs that are closed across Ireland um, with our support, um, not sympathy campaign for it to come on the evening when we were just finishing it up. It was even, I suppose, uh, a double family really for us because, uh, it look, it's just indefensible what happened. Um, it shouldn't have happened. And like, uh, following the guidelines, there was so many breaches of the guidelines there. And um, look, we, we hoped, and we we would nearly, uh, I suppose, demand that the full rigors of the law be brought. To, uh, what does that mean, though, Michael? What can be done? Like Jay Bork has been giving interviews. He gave one either yesterday or this morning, a brief interview, and he says that Jay Bork, the, the restaurateur who's involved in the Berlin, and he said this is just a very short clip from what was otherwise a very well behaved afternoon. Now, you kind of look at that and you go, yeah, right. But that's what he says. Yeah, but PJ, look, it, it was, I don't know, was it 20 odd seconds of the video? That was 20 odd seconds too much. Like the breaches in there, the social distancing, I suppose, look, you have to ask, is it a, you know, when the licence renewal comes up, are they fit to, to run a public uh, house or, you know, whatever licence they have that they're operating under? Uh, the restaurant license are they fit to hold the restaurant license um so the guardie would have uh, powers in that regard to object to the license um i suppose the hsa could go in um, and like under social distancing guidelines because look as you saw from the bar counter scene there was no social distancing at that uh, at that point um, i think that they would have uh, i suppose powers to be in in that scenario so look i think it's it, it's nearly come to a time that Somebody needs to be made an example, and I think that um, that what what the carry on in, in the Berlin Bar on Saturday night it's just indefensible. 
Particularly when you consider, too, that Dublin has by far the highest number of cases in the entire country. Now, you'd expect it for the high, high level of population, but like it has over 12,500 cases and next on the list is under two. Yeah, it, look, it, it is. It's just not, I suppose, the, look, everything that we were trying to achieve in our campaign on Saturday, it, it just flew in the face of it, I'm afraid. You wonder who thought it was a good idea in the first place. Thank you very much, Michael. With regard to the solidarity, the support, not 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 sympathy, not sympathy campaign, like how is that going for you? I mean, they were coming up to the thirty first of August. I, I I hate to tell you, Michael, I'm not optimistic for you guys getting open. No, PJ. Look, I suppose if uh, if look <laughs> like us, I suppose we follow the political decisions that are made on a weekly basis at the moment, and I think it's interesting that uh, last week the PUP payments and different payments have been extended until the 17th of September. So I think, look, if we're, if we're realistic, we know the Cabinet are meeting on the 28th of August, with our next potential date being the 31st of August to reopen. I think with the numbers for the last week, um, and sitting here now looking at the 28th of August, I would be, look, if you're a realist, you'd probably be saying we're looking more at the 17th of September uh, being the next, uh, being the next, I suppose, staging point for us. I think mm. the, the, you must feel very hard done by when you see these cases and and all these crazy scenes, and you're closed. You're not to blame, and yet you're the ones still closed. Yeah, look, I think we're being used, I suppose, a small bit as a yardstick by the government um, for the public. Um, in that, look, this is what can happen if you don't follow the the public health advice but unfortunately um, I think some of their decisions have been a bit strange um, and look we all know there's house parties going on all over the country and like uh, the pubs are closed but yet we're the ones that are closed and the house party issue still hasn't been even dealt with or you know tackled so mm. until I think until the house party issue I look the, the issue is that you can only have 10 people uh, from four different families in a house but Look, we've, we see evidence from members every weekend coming in from across the country that there's house parties taking place. And I think until they, I suppose, uh, I suppose visit it and, um, I suppose, take action on the house parties, um, I think the numbers or, or anything might not change until they, until they do take action on it. Okay, all right, leave it there. That's um, Mike Donovan from the Castle Inn. Still closed. He's the Cork City Chair of the Vintners Federation. People are saying, forget about the pubs, PJ. How are we going to get the schools open? I'm with you on that. The schools are supposed to open in under two weeks. First of them would begin to open around the 26th, 27th of August. And everyone's supposed to be going back by about the 2nd of September. How are we going to do it in the face of, of rising numbers of cases? I'll get to that just after the break. But Alex then says, look over there. Meat plants. We're a great nation for the distraction. Not sure what you mean, Alex. We have talked about the meat plants. We will talk about the meat plants again. What's going on in the meat plants is dreadful. What's being allowed to happen in the meat plants meat plants is dreadful. It is. But we have no control over that. We can control our behaviour in the pubs and the control of some people in the pubs as ordinary individuals. But the meat what's going on in the meat factories is terrible and needs to be addressed very, very strict, uh, stringently. Let alone to, to to protect the public health of the of the workers there, but to protect the rest of us as well. Eugene says the New Zealand experience would make you more inclined to think, learn to live with it. However, the plan to get to zero needs to be put out there. 
Perhaps we should aim for zero while simultaneously learning to live in the new normal. 1850 715 Schools next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Cork's 96 FM now brings you even more music choice. Streaming online. Listen to the Hit Mix for fresh new music. Fresh new music. And the all-new Cork's 96 FM Fit Mix. It's the perfect soundtrack for your workout. Your workout. Download our app. Listen on your smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go to 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So Olive took to Twitter uh, over the weekend to express her worry about the children going back to school. Morning, Olive. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me. And I'm delighted. Is this a personal thing or is it in general like when are the children your children due to go back my children are to go back at the end of the month um i have three in secondary school including a leaving cert and i was supposed to have my uh, little two-year-old start play school as well and are you nervous about it happening they are, yeah. Um, I suppose, kind of, to give you context, when you asked was it personal, for me, obviously, it is very personal because we've had reasons um, to be worried, but I'm also concerned about other parents um, who are in the same situation and teachers. Um, yeah, I, I, I posted um, a piece on Twitter earlier on, at the early, very early beginning of the pandemic. Um, I spoke in Clareburn Live about what my children had gone through with um, swine flu. My children had swine flu back in 2009. And um, it was oh, I horrendous. I think I remember that interview, Olive. Yes, yeah. I think I saw that. Yeah. yeah, and I had basically asked for the closure of the schools, you know, based on only two cases. I was asking back then, please close the schools because what my children went through back in that pandemic, um, back in 2009, um, the government didn't close the schools unless a case came, unless there was a case in the school. So in, in our locality, that's what happened. And it was actually my children that were the ones that got swine flu and then this school closed. Um, the three weeks that followed, um, how sick they were, I can't even describe. I described it very um, kind of high level on Twitter, but they were very, very sick um, with this virus. And then not long afterwards, uh, two out of the three girls became very ill and to this day, 11 years later, still have ailments from the virus. Um, I, I suppose my concern um, arose um, was, you know, it's not right to have this kind of um, system where we're looking at, you know, let, it, let, let children get it and then we'll close afterwards. Yeah. Um, that's not fair um, and it's especially not right for, I suppose, vulnerable children. Um, so my children all have cardiac conditions and um, we have juvenile arthritis and that's required like injections of chemo type drugs. Um, my husband had a stroke in February. My baby's awake in heart surgery. So as you can imagine, you know, our family would be quite high risk. But you were, you were, were you all cocooning? I'd say you were, yeah? Back when we had swine flu, yeah. So um, basically, um, because my... Um, I mean, at, are, at the start of this pandemic, did you have to uh, cocoon? Oh, yeah. So I took my kids out um, as a school way before the government um, announced the closure, closure of the schools. My principal was excellent and helped me with that process. Um, I was nervous of two guys, I suppose, um, you know, taking the kids out when they weren't sick. 
Um, so I pulled my kids out very, very early and they've cocooned since. Um, my husband has an essential business, so he's had to go to work and we've had to be really, really, really careful. Um, such as, you know, when we come into the house, taking off the shoes, getting changed, having a shower immediately before we go near the children. Nobody's allowed into our home. Um, we're, we're very, they're very, very cocooned. And, I, and it's been really hard on yeah. them. Like, it has been very hard on them from a mental health perspective. And, and, and sending them back to, to school after nearly six months of that. Yeah. It's daunting it's, for them, let alone for you. It is, and my girls are old enough. My my eighteen, seventeen year old are you know they're they're old enough um, to understand, and my fourteen year old is also. But like, there's a double frustration here. I want my kids more than ever to go back to school, to be around their friends, uh, to do the normal things that kids do. Like that, I really, really want them back to school. It's been very tough on them, but at the same time, I'm in a battle between their physical health and their mental health. And the reality is, if they go into school and we have rising cases across the country again, um, the chances are they, they could obviously contract this virus, which is which is deadly. And we've seen recent reports in the US, um, in around 90 children have died in the US in the last few months. Mm. And that's with mitigation, that's with the schools closed, that's with masks. So, I mean, people say the risk of children getting it, you know, isn't high. While the numbers might be low in percentages, that's somebody's child you're talking about. You know, it's not about statistics or percentages. That's somebody's child. And in our house, we obviously have four children and we also have relatives who are high risk as well. Although we're not even seeing our high risk relatives um, without social distancing because we're still so careful. Um, and, and it's not just me. So I put this out on Twitter. I didn't expect it to explode as it did, but it did. And throughout the whole comments, you have teachers, principals, parents, family members extremely worried about this situation. Um, and, and I think what it is, is the guidelines. It comes back to the guidelines that have been given to schools um, in relation to the one metre or two metre distance, masks some places, no masks other places. Mm. Um, and I think that's what it comes down to, that we don't actually have strong national guidelines that are in line with other guidelines. For example, in retail, you can't walk into a shop without a mask. Yes, they're expecting to put 20 plus children in a room with one metre distance and no masks. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, and on the buses, now I don't know whether the school bus is part of your life, but on the buses, the school buses will not have social distancing. That only got dumped out on Friday evening. I can't understand that when public transport has had it um, for the general public, and yet school buses... Um, there's no social distancing. It, it, like I understand the logistics of trying to get children to school, and they need seats, you know, uh, available for children to get them to school for accessibility. But at the same time, that's something where the government needs to provide the resources for that, and um, to ensure social distancing can occur. Um, we also have this thing where you know children can wear masks if they want to. But we have an awful issue with peer pressure, you know, especially at 14, 15, you know, third year or first year even going into school. That child that's vulnerable might wear the mask, but then they might be ostracised or bullied for Mm. wearing that mask. Does it bother you a little, Olive? It it certainly troubles me just observing this thing for for the last few months that we, we have a tendency in this country to recommend. Yes. We don't do rules. No, and, and I, you I know, <laughs> go on. We, we, we don't do so rules. Often, no, and I always say to people when, like, because my husband's obviously he's his own business, so we, we've had to do all the risk assessments and everything ourselves, and it's a very high risk business at that. 
And I keep saying to people, when you're looking at any of these um, documents, you know, from the government, there's two words you need to watch out for. One word is must, that means you have to do it. And the other is should, which is, it's a guideline. You know, you can or you cannot. And that word should needs to be taken out of most of those guidelines. It needs to be must. There's a stronger Um, word you don't see, and that's shall. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so when you are looking at all these things, um, like, and I've spoken to so many, like, I can't tell you, my normal job is healthcare advocacy, so I have so many people contacting me all the time. What do you think, Olive? What are you going to do? And I don't want people led by what I'm going to do because I have to make decisions based on my own family circumstances, obviously. Um, but, but I'm really, really concerned because you may have one skill you know, two skills 30 miles apart from each other. One skill doing it one way, the other skill doing it the other way. But yeah. you can have siblings in both of those skills, yeah. um, you know, like primary school or secondary school, for example. Um, and you, you've also got, you know, all the loved ones at home. It just seems there's different drills um, in different areas. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that's not right because the data is there that children can transmit it, they can get it and they can sadly die from it. Um, and then we also have the other information, which is that the long-term implications of COVID-19, which so many people are speaking out about, um, after they get it and they, how would you say, recover, as in they survive, they're actually left with all these long-term implications, as we've seen with my children with swine flu. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge concern as well. And I think teachers and principals are trying their absolute best. Do I get a sense from you, Olive, that you're, you're half afraid that you mightn't send your own dads back? I think um, in in my situation with my big two, um, I, I've kind of had that conversation with them because they're old enough to make that decision. Um, I think they they won't they don't feel safe right now going back to school with the current protocols in place. My fourteen year old and I feel really really sorry for her is in that situation where, like, if they don't bring masks in, I don't want to wear masks because I'd be different. But I don't want to stay at home because I want to be with my friends. So I still haven't come to a conclusion. I I obviously don't want her to be upset and sad. And I think that's what the government have done as well. They've actually left parents in this horrible situation where they have to make that decision. And the child then could nearly resent the parent for the decision that they have to make. And that's not fair, nor is it right. All right, leave it there. Olive, thank you very much. That's Olive O'Connor, 1850-715-996. Kevin says I should explain the, the concept of the news dump. Well, what it is... We learned on Friday evening into Saturday morning that the school buses are now going to be coming back without social distancing on them. And that got announced quietly on Friday afternoon. There's a kind of a thing where as you head into the weekend, an awful lot of news desks go quiet about four or five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. They either go quiet or there's something else to, to be focusing on. Like, for example, last Friday now we're all worried about meat plants and worried about increasing cases and all sorts of things going on. And then you dump some news that might be hard to stomach. You dump it out in the form of a, pre- of a press release for five, half five Friday. It might well get missed. And if you dump it out later in the evening, it even missed the morning papers. And that's what happened with the school buses thing Friday. It's a very, it doesn't happen by accident that this stuff gets dumped out. A lot of people asking over the weekend as well, you know, um, Norma Foley, the Minister for Education. Uh, and the blessings of God in her and the good luck with her in the job is a tough old job. But you have to ask yourself the question. Michal Martin has appointed a first-time TD to the job of Minister for Education. What was he thinking? Shouldn't education, with the job of getting our 
children back to school, shouldn't that job have been given to one of the more experienced people instead of a first-time TD who would probably spend, again, with the, with the greatest of respect to, to Minister Foley, would probably spend the first three months trying to figure out what the civil servants are at around her. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. I'm just thinking of the shenanigans over the weekend involving Mike Cawley from Falcha, Ireland, or Board Falcha, who had to resign when we learned that he'd gone off on a holiday to Italy, where I believe he, he owned, Mr. Cawley's from Cork, by the way, from the South Wales Road, uh, I believe he owns a house in Italy. Uh, which he's entitled to do and, and was thinking that, well, I'm just in my own house. But no, 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 no. It was the worst possible thing for him to do and his position was absolutely untenable. The minute he thought of it, having told the whole lot of us to staycation, stay at home, enjoy our wonderful country, follow the travel guidelines laid down by the government and then off he duly heads to Italy. Green list or no green list, it was a daft thing to do. So he had to resign. But then yesterday, Michael McNamara... Michael McNamara is the chair, he's an independent TD from the West of Ireland, he's the chair of the COVID-19 Erectus Committee. So the committee that is trying to steer us through this is chaired by a man who defended Michael Cawley and defended Michael Cawley's right almost to go on holidays to Italy, saying he wasn't doing anything wrong, which he wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't breaking any rules. He wasn't breaking the law. Which is a stupid thing to do. And then you have Michael McNamara then saying he was hounded. Uh, the chair of the Erectus Committee. Is, is that not another man who should be perhaps considering his position or should the Taoiseach not be taking note of what the chair of his Erectus Committee is doing? Going right, right going against policy. I tell you, I, I'd hate to be trying to do the job up there right now. 1850-715-996, text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Martin on WhatsApp says, I'm a recently qualified bus driver. It's widely known there's a shortage of buses and drivers for the schools. A lot of retirements have taken place over COVID, plus the lack of bus tests at present. And there was a shortage even before COVID. Love the show, says Martin. Thank you. Martin. IPJ says Jerry, the opening of the schools will be a debacle with one rule for one and another for another in regard to COVID-19 safety guidelines. Teachers are not frontline health workers and that's what teachers are going to be dealing with when schools reopen is the threat of COVID-19 and they're understaffed and not trained and they're being thrown into the mix now over the weekend. 239 world scientists have said to the WHO, the World Health Organization COVID-19 is airborne in enclosed areas. WHO are in the process of updating their advice on that. That's right, we, we heard that a couple of weeks ago, that they were very concerned about the airborne nature of COVID-19 particularly in enclosed areas and that is something that is being investigated by more and more scientists at the moment and where else could it be airborne, more airborne than in a flipping schoolroom? 1850-715-996 Right, Maria Keelty uh, has been thinking about how you, you have youngsters to go back, do you, Maria? I do, yeah, uh, PJ. I have a 13 year old son, Josh. He's starting in first year in secondary school. And you have been thinking hard about how he's going to go back? 
Yeah, it's um, a lot of organisation, a lot of uh, little things that you wouldn't think about that, you know, you have to work around, kind of. What kind of things? Um, Well, um, like pencil cases, like... um, don't be getting the sequins or the fluffy type pencil cases. Get a plastic pencil case that you can disinfect yourself every <laughs> evening. And um, there's school bags. Um, there's plenty of uh, spray disinfectants. So every evening when they come home, spray down their school bag. Pay um, extra care to underneath the school bag where it's touching off the floors. Um, you know, getting to take off their shoes, coming in the door. Um, you have to worry about their uniforms. Um, at first, we were told there was going to be no uniforms, and now they've backtracked and said there will be uniforms. Yeah, and did I see at the weekend, again with this kind of news dump where they sneak it out on a Friday afternoon quietly and without fuss, are, are people going to be expected to wash the uniforms every night or have five different ones? Well, in all fairness now, PJ, nobody buys one school uniform. You know, everybody would have one or two. So if you wash your uniform at half four or five o'clock and put it on even an air horse inside your house, if the weather is bad, that uniform will be dry in a day or two for the next. The only real hard thing is the heavy jumpers that they wear in school. Yeah. So if you get a garment steamer and you can pick up garment steamers for under 50 euro, put it on a hanger, hang it in between a door and steam it and leave it there overnight. I don't know whether the quality of school uniforms have improved since I was in school, or they have since I was there, but since my kids were in school, Maria, that much washing, they'll fall apart by Christmas. They will. They will. The wear and tear will be big on uniforms this year. And And uniforms are are ridiculously expensive. They are an awful price. Like, and all these crested uniforms, I don't see the need for them. Yes. But we are going to have to put up with the fact that there is going to be wear and tear and they probably will go quicker than normal. Well, they'll be shapeless rags by by the end of November. Probably, yes. You know? They probably will. And then you have some yeah. poor child given out to by a cranky teacher because the jumper with they've been trying to keep is a, is a shapeless rag. Yeah, true. There's um, plenty of uh, um, laundry disinfectants that you can use on even as low as a 20 degrees wash and you put them into your washing machine instead of a fabric softener yeah. and they cleanse your clothes as well because like, people think everything has to be boiled you know, on hot washes to get rid of anything. 60 degrees. Yeah. But you can buy these um, in any supermarket. Um, They're just laundry cleansers and add them into your softener drawer instead of softener. Yeah. I should Um, remind listeners, I forgot to say this, your your Insta blog has, has quite a following, Irish Cleaning Mammy. I should I mean, I'm in to to point that out. So you've got the, 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 the uniforms, the lunch boxes, uh, school bags, pencil cases. Yeah. What goes into the lunchbox is important. It is very important, PJ. And, and if any, my 13-year-old would be quite happy to share if he had something in his lunchbox and we have to teach him whatever you Don't bring Don't we teach our children, Maria, sharing is caring. That's how you I be know. a nice person, share your sweets. I know, but we can't do it in this. This is our new normal now yeah. and it's one of the real um, big, drawbacks of all this is, is you know, you, you have to start looking on life in a different way 
Yeah. You know, so... Don't be sharing your potatoes. Don't. And it's the same with the pencil cases. You have to make sure you have that pencil case fully stocked and check it every evening so that they don't have to go looking. And another uh, tip I would give out is even though schools are going to have hand sanitizers and everything in place, it's our responsibility as well. Put a small hand sanitizer into their pencil case. Yeah. They will still use common areas in the school. I'm sure they'll be still using the computers. You know, just little things. And another thing, PJ, I think is so, so important is don't put your anxieties onto your child. Very you hard to, to achieve try. that, Maria. It's very hard, but we really, really How would going you do to have that? to try. I think, you know, just try and from day one when they go back into school, have your routine the same as what you would have had last year, but mm. just add in your extras like, you know, when they come in the door, take off the uniform, get it washed, wash the, get a hard plastic lunchbox as well that you can give a really hot wash every evening. Um, another thing um, I we don't know yet, it's not been confirmed to us that they have to wear a mask in school. A lot of stuff is up in the air with less than two weeks. How, how would you feel about that prospect? How would your, young, how would your, your school going youngster feel about it? He'd be stressed over it because he don't like wearing them going into a shop. But I think you have to get a high quality mask for them. They sweat so much underneath them. They're coming into that age where they're going to break out in spots anyway. Yeah. And get them into a routine well, when they I'm, come I'm home. Just after, I'm just after thinking that now, Maria. Yeah. As, as as someone who suffered with teen acne in my own school days, oh, the thoughts thing. of having an acne blotch, particularly yeah. particularly a sore one, and trying to wear a flipping mask over it. Yeah, because automatically you are sweating underneath them, and, no matter what. And your skin is gooey and oily. Yeah. Oh, God. But to get them into the habit when they come home to go upstairs and cleanse their face, to get all that off their face, it'll help a little. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's, you know, a lot you have to think about. It's not going to be easy this year sending them back off to school. There's yeah. so much extra on top. It is. It's going to be very difficult for parents over the next couple of weeks. And, and moreover, if we have a, a, a surge in cases, you could find yeah. them sent home again after after a week or two. And that can vary. That's going to be... I can see it coming down the line. I think every parent can. And then it'll be up to us at home to keep them in a routine. You know, I'm sure they'll be homeschooled again at some stage. I cannot see every child in Ireland putting in a full year in school this year. I just I just can't see it. Yeah, I know. A lot of people can't. Maria, thanks. That's Maria Keelty. You'll find her on Instagram. Irish cleaning mammy with loads of tips. Loads of tips in a very nice, simple, down-to-earth way of giving them out. I got some details from one school yesterday, says this caller, of the plans they have for reopening. After reading these plans and how they're going to manage it, school has placed responsibility right back on the parent. So it's very unfair that schools are reopening to have children herding into the school, possibly contract COVID-19 and bring it back into the home and put their family at risk. And then the school closes. PJ, even if a child gets symptoms of COVID, like a cold, they have to self-isolate for 14 days. And anyone that's come into contact with that person will also have to do the same. We'd all love for the schools to go back and be normal and be wonderful and everything everything be just right, but I just have a horrible, horrible sense it's not going to happen. 
And I know I'll be told, no, you're, you must speak up the positive. You must talk up the positive. We must get the children back to We'd all love to get the children back to school. But look at the amount of, of, of risk involved and the cleaning that's going to be involved and the worry you'll have that if your seven or eight-year-old brings something home from the school, it'll run through the whole house. It'll run through the whole house and down to Nana's house. And before you know it, we're back where we were in February or March. And don't accuse me of scaremongering. I'm merely reflecting what listeners are worried about. That's kind of me job. 1850-715-996. Back to Debenhams because there's a lot of uh, mis- well, misleading and, and, and uh, shall we say, differences in the information going out there where unions and, and management and liquidators are saying one thing and then they're saying another. So let us find out exactly what is happening with Debenhams from the same people we've been talking to since day one. Next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette, now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie Here's some of the winners from the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Best Burger. Son of a Bun. Best Hairdresser. Fusion Hair Design. Best Breakfast. Liberty Grill. Best Coffee. Cork Coffee Roasters. Best Hotel. The Montanati Hotel. Best Workplace. Cope Foundation. Congratulations to all our winners. Thank you for voting. Thank you for voting. The Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Just before I go to the Debenhams workers, some stuff still coming in on the pubs and the restaurants in the wake of what happened at D2 or Berlin in D2 and whatever they call the damn place in Dublin the weekend. We all know what happened. We've all seen the videos. Neffet are meeting today uh, and Ronan Glynn, the acting chief medical officer, currently holding the fort for Tony Houlihan. Ronan Glynn said yesterday evening that something will have to be done about this and I quote, he used the words, reckless socialising. Something will have to be done. Neffet is sitting meeting today to decide what gets done. They will then tell the cabinet what they think should be done. The cabinet are going to meet and they'll decide what's going to be done. So change is a coming, whatever kind of change that'll be. Um, Finn says a pub on the south side opened yesterday. Odd day to reopen, he thought. Went to the shop, says Finn, at 9.45. Place was hopping. Lads, buying chipper food at 5 o'clock does not entitle you to go on the lash for the evening. It's individuals and not organisations that are being irresponsible. Peter, there were people being turned away from a very famous Northside pub at a quarter past eight Saturday night, yet there was people in there since four. And I'm getting more and more calls like that. Let us go, though, to, to Debenhams, to Valerie Condon, who's been keeping us up to date since, pretty much since Easter weekend, when they all were told by text that their jobs were gone. Uh, Valerie's been, and, and a few of her colleagues have been leading the fight ever since. A fight that's now, is it day 129 or 128, Valerie, at this stage? Good today morning. Is 130. Is it 130 days today? 
130. Well, well, and you know what's frightening? Because on the, your, the show this morning, KC turned around and said it's 130 days to Christmas. Yeah. It's pretty close to that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hundred. Yeah, yeah and you're, you're only whatever you're. It's yeah, it's a hundred and thirty days to Christmas, and you're only thirty-four days short of the Vita Cortex. Thirty-one to the hundred and sixty-one for the Vita Cortex. Yes, right. Hundred and sixty-one. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, what happened over the weekend? Because there's all sorts of confusing information out there. Are you still down by the stores? We are. And you staying down there? We are. It's, there was, we had a meeting with Mandate on Friday, a Zoom meeting with Mandate on Friday. During that call, we were told that KPMG had sent in uh, solicitor's letters about an injunction unless we let trucks in to remove the concession trucks, uh, uh, concession stocks. Um, I left that meeting. I had something else to do. I got a phone call to say that there was trucks trying to enter the building. I wasn't there. I couldn't ask the girls because at that stage it wasn't going to be legal. So I couldn't ask the girls to stand in front of the truck and stop it. So they let the trucks in. But by the time I arrived, the trucks were full and we didn't let them leave with the stock in the trucks. So the trucks left empty. Right. And the talk, talk of an injunction against you, that's, that's upping the ante. Do you think it'll happen? It is upping up in the ante. And I like... At this stage, I don't know whether I wanted to happen or not, because at this stage now we really feel that instead of KPMG working with us, they're actually working against us. And they're meant to be working with the creditors, and we're still a creditor. So, like, we, we, we are really caught between a rock and a hard place here. We don't know who's helping us now at that stage, at this stage, bar mandate. Is it true that somebody is interested in buying some or all of the Irish stores? Yes, it is. So there is going, there is somebody interested in, in some of the stores, not all of the stores. Do we know who it is, can we say? No, so we, we haven't a clue. We're not, see, so they're telling us that there's an, interest there, an interested buyer out there, but they're not telling us who it is. So again, we're being kept in the dark, just like we've been kept in the dark since Holy Thursday. Yeah, yeah. I suppose they'll try to argue with you, well, do you want to scare off an interested buyer? I see, and, that, and that's why they obviously want to get the concession stock out. But at the end of the day, they, they know what we want. They know what will stop all this. Yeah. So they, they need to take their hands out of their pocket as well and start doing something about it. Yeah. Now, is the strike still official? Yes. Now, you're a mandate stop shop steward or whatever they call it. They, they, do, they still use steward. the term stop steward. They do. They Things do, yeah. change yeah. somewhat. So you're a mandate shop steward. So you, therefore, are in touch with the union on a... On a, on a frequent basis. The strike is still official? Yes. There's no such thing as an unofficial strike. They probably get calling us unofficial at, at the moment in Cork because we stopped the stock from going out. But there is an official strike going on in all 11 stores. And this is a balloted strike, isn't it? Yes. 97% voted yes to the strike. And that's, that, that mandate, that ballot, does not have a, an ending date, does it? No. No, no ending date whatsoever. So in order to, and I'm going back, it's a while now since I covered a big industrial relations story, so I'm pulling knowledge out of my head here. So in order for the strike to become unofficial, you would have to ballot to end it and then have someone go against that ballot. Yes. So, so the strike isn't over nope. until mandate ballots for it to be over. Exactly, exactly. Or until, or what we're asking, negotiations are passed. Right. 
Right. And even if there is a negotiated package put on the table, it's still, it you're, you're still entitled to ballot again. Yeah, yeah. So anyone who says this is an unofficial strike is talking out there behind? It's KPMG have said it's an unofficial uh, strike and KPMG are wrong. They want an end to this, but they don't realise we want an end to it as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's a thing called a Duffy Cahill Bill. What's that? So the Duffy Cahill Bill was brought out because of Clearies at oh, the yes. time. Yes. So what it, what it is, is it's for the employ, employees rather than for the employers. So to get any entitlements that, like, there's us now with our 2 plus 2, that, that that's the redundancy that they will should get at the end of it. So we're trying to get that passed now so that nobody will have to go through what we're actually going through at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 wrong what you're having to go through. Yeah. It's wrong what you're having to go through. So so effectively you're on you're you're staying there, you're going nowhere, and you're perfectly within your legal rights under under industrial relations law to be there. Yes, exactly. All right. All right. Exactly. All right, well, keep her lit, Valerie. Thanks very much. Take care. Cheers. 1850-715-996. So that you have it now from the strikers themselves. That strike is official because it was balloted for, a 97% ballot for it. It remains official until it's declared to be over. So nobody can come out and say it's unofficial, as KPMG appeared to have done at the weekend. 1850-715-996. In 31 days... They'll be on this strike for the same length of time that Vita Cortex uh, were, did their sit-in. And they won in the end, and let's hope that the bandit workers won in the end. And I know I'm being accused of taking a side on this one. Hey, yeah, guilty as charged, Milud. I am. Because this should have been fixed after Vita Cortex. After what happened at Vita Cortex, this should have been fixed. That You can't just hightail it out of here and, and leave people in the lurch like that. But it wasn't fixed after Vita Cortex. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. There's two concerts coming up at Tristle Christchurch on Friday 14th of August. At lunchtime, siblings Iona Peku Colon and Alex Peku will play as part of the Music Network's live and local series, while that evening Cork songwriter Jack O'Rourke performs live with limited tickets available for both shows. Access all areas. Andy Irvine and Paul Brady have announced an upcoming show to take place at Cork Opera House on 26th of March next. The show features songs and tunes from their illustrious careers, and as on previous tours, they'll be accompanied by Donal Lunny and Kevin Burke. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing AAA at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96FM.
Let's call her on school uniforms with an interesting question and the executive research desk manned today, by the way, by Fergal Barry. And uh, welcome to the house, Doc Martin. Um, if, if, could ironing school uniforms instead of washing every day kill COVID? It could is the answer from the uh, ERD, but it's not recommended because it's very hard to know that every nook and cranny has been ironed with washing all parts of the clothing are immersed. Immersed. So there you go. Could you advise what a sporting club is supposed to do if someone has said they can't come to training because they're sick? Uh, well, I can't answer that one, Rich. Sorry. But with regard to the uniforms, ironing is handy, but washing is better. Which means that by the end of November, all the flipping uniforms will be shapeless rags. 1850-715-996. Hi, PJ. I have three children. It'd be all night trying to sort uniforms. No, no time for anything else if I had to go washing uniforms every evening. Yeah, I get your point, Carla. I really do. And it's, it's, like, it's, it's already hard enough to get kids ready for school the following morning between lunchboxes, uniforms, school bags, missing things and stuff going missing and the fact that they decide at 10 to 10 on a November night Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, Dad, I, I need um, I need six different kinds of leaf for the morning. Yeah, they do and they did and they always will. But sure, look, we'll see. We'll see what happens and we'll follow it with, with great interest. Up at St. Angela's, they're following with even more interest than, than normal. Um, there's, there's a plan there called Nurture for Wellbeing which we wanted to catch up with them about. And it's being, it's being run by uh, Ms. Aaron O'Driscoll, who is a teacher at St. Angela's. Aaron, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And I'll get to the, the general uh, content of the programme in a, in a moment. But, but sure. for teachers and pupils and parents, these are a very worrying few weeks ahead and no one really knows what's going to happen, do they? 
Well, it, it is a very challenging time, to be fair. I mean, I think the country has gone through uh, enormous changes in the last in the last few months. But I think what we've seen really is how resilient and how how people how people have pulled together as a community to to really, I suppose, reduce COVID across the country. And I think the directive that has come from the department, I mean, I know firsthand how hard school principals, deputies and teachers are working to get schools ready to try and safely welcome students back into the school building. And I suppose our role really as a, as a school community is to make people feel as safe and as reassured as we possibly can coming back in. So there's huge work being done behind the scenes at the moment to get everything in place ready for students to come back into the building. Like take St Angela's as an example. What what yeah. what plans have you have you put in place there? Um, well, I suppose first of all, there's we would ask students and parents to familiarise themselves with the symptoms of COVID nineteen, so that if anyone is unwell, that they stay at home. You know that's the policy that's gone out to all schools across the country. But right when you come in the gate, you have um, hand sanitizers. There are hand sanitizers all over the school. Um, there will be cleaning much more often. I mean, especially at kind of high contact areas, PJ, like door handles and places where there'd be a lot of contact regularly with all the students touching. Um, we'd have advice as well everywhere about hand sanitising and hygiene and washing their hands for at least 20 seconds with hot soap and water in every bathroom. Will, um, will the bathrooms have the warm water? Because a lot of school will, bathrooms yes, yeah. don't. They do, and I know we're very lucky. We have a beautiful building, and I know there's a lot of schools that don't have that. But even schools schools that don't are currently installing extra water heaters to provide hot water. So students should have hot water and soap available and hand sanitizers in every classroom um, and at the entrance and exit of the building. Um, and those hand sanitizing stations are all over the school for people to use. There'd also be posters reminding students about respiratory etiquette, and we would ask parents as well to be very mindful of any student who's absent for whatever reason that you absolutely have to inform the schools because the schools need to keep a contacting tracing log and the school roll call will be used as part of that. Um, there'd also be a great limit on visitors coming into the school. You know, before if your child forgot their lunchbox PJ or their school P gear or whatever, you could pop into the school and just drop it off. Yeah. You know, most schools will, will be asking people obviously to try and avoid that situation. But if that were to happen, there'd be a designated area, around, usually around the reception area of the school, where parents bring things, but they won't talk to anybody. They won't. They bring it. They will contact the school office by phone or by text or through the app of that school, whatever system your particular school is using. So dramatic reduction in the number of visitors or, or strangers or parents coming into a school building. And two metre social distancing where it's possible, but minimum one metre distancing. All the classrooms will have been rearranged to configure completely differently so that there's a minimum of one metre and ideally two metres mm. um, between people where possible. Masks? Um, yeah, masks. Students are asked to wear masks. I mean, that has been the directive. Children over the age of 13 to wear a mask or a facial covering of some sort. So let's say students of special needs who are troubled and wouldn't be able to wear a mask, then a visor is an option. Mm. Or a student who's really struggling with the idea of wearing a mask all day could wear a visor. But some facial covering is definitely uh, recommended. It's required. And um, water fountains, you know, usually schools will have a water fountain for students to fill up their water bottles. So you'll be asked to bring your own water to school and there won't be water fountains available. Um, And I suppose on an academic level as well, our staff would have gone through training throughout the summer on G Suite for Education, where training sessions were provided for us 
you know, during the school closures, we did a lot of remote learning, but we were yeah. using different types of platforms, whereas now the whole school will be using the same one yeah. and there'll be uniformity throughout. Do you I mean, think, Karen, it's going to be possible like, for, for the entire class of however many to have the entire week? Will everybody be able to come in every day, do you think? Um, that's the ideal and that's what we're aiming for, PJ. And I know that's what the department is hoping for, that, that everybody will be in as much as humanly possible. Um, but I think we, we've heard there from um, David Navarro earlier today saying that, you know, they, that we might have to look at localised closures and things like that. We can only respond to whatever NEFIT and the Department of Education are telling us at any yes. one time. It's an incredibly fluid situation and, and schools are under, you know, tremendous time pressure now getting everything ready um, as a result of, of directives from the department. But they're working really, really hard to okay. get everything and ready for students. You know? it's, it's one that we will be following in great detail over the next couple yeah. of weeks because every time, every year back to school brings its own crop of, of stories okay. and queries yeah. from listeners. I imagine this will be uh, more than ever. Let's get to the wellbeing programme, uh, Nurture for Wellbeing. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. So Nurture for Wellbeing has been running in St. Angela since 2019, um, where our principal, Pat Curran, saw that this directive was coming from the Department of Education, whereby 400 hours of ring-fenced hours for wellbeing was going to be in- implemented in junior cycle. And that rollout started in 2017 and was due to be fully implemented by this September. But because of COVID now, that's been extended to 20. 20- 21. Right. Um, excuse me. Well, one of the things Mr. Curran did for us was he timetabled us. So we were able to get up and running. And actually, three teachers, um, Sanch Connolly, Holly Peters, and myself, we said, if we're going to do this, we want to do it really well. So we met every Monday lunchtime in our own time to write a program that we could use in the school. And we taught, we planned our lessons for the week, we taught them, then we'd meet again the following week, readapt them, change them. And we've done that for several years now. So what we've come up with is a suite of teaching packages for first, second and third year students where schools can subscribe to uh, nurtureforwellbeing.com and they can provide their teachers with access to digital resources um, which worked really, really well during the closure, PJ, because we were able to continue our programme you know, without interruption. Mm. So in that suite of teaching packs, you have teacher plans for every single lesson throughout the year. In first year, there's 66 lessons. There's PowerPoint presentations for teachers, a scheme of work, a subject department plan. You know, everything a school needs to set up a properly functioning subject department for this new subject in junior cycle. Yeah. Can I um, ask about that subject? Because yeah. I see that, that the Department of Education and Skills want um, every junior cert student to be doing... 400 hours of well-being during their junior cycle and they want that brought in by the end of next year or probably yeah. because of COVID. Be what? This, this is going to sound like an awful stupid question, Aaron. What is well-being? Okay, well, well-being really is an umbrella term to encompass PE, SPHE, CSP and then additional hours. We're essentially ring-fencing time where we focus solely on students' well-being. Right. And that they have their English class and their French class and their maths class. Grand, we, we all know what they you know that they're working hard on their academic subjects there. But teachers would have for a very very long time, and schools too would have focused on looking after student well-being and how students are functioning, their resilience, their their happiness levels, their ability to cope. But it was always done kind of, you know, between classes or in certain classes, uh, you know, and then at lunchtime after school. Before, whereas now. 
it's ring-fenced, timetabled hours that are dedicated to looking after students' ability to, I suppose, deal with um, problems themselves, self-manage, manage their own stress levels. So a lot of schools will have, obviously, their PE, SPHE and CSP program running, but there would have been a deficit then in terms of bringing it up to the 400 hours. And that's where Nurture for Wellbeing comes in, where our program across first, second and third year is 88 hours of timetables, classroom time of wellbeing. Um, so in, in the program itself, for example, PJ, we cover things like mindfulness and meditation, goal setting. We look at how to deal with emotions, you know, good emotions and challenging emotions um, and teaching, basically giving them life skills to cope with the ups and downs of life, the normal ups and downs of life that we all deal with. But also, you know, we've had students who are dealing with very challenging situations at home. And I think that's one of the things that um, David Coleman wrote recently about is coming back into school for a lot of students will be a relief. Yeah. You know, that their home life might be very challenging. Yeah. Or, you know, I think even the best of, of um, families, uh, Peter, or parents are trying their really hardest to do their best for children during this lockdown. There were days, right? So everybody was sick of each other. You know, everybody was frustrated. It's been a very challenging time. But if you take students then across primary and secondary who have very difficult home situations, but school for them is a respite. It's a support. They can meet their friends. They have their teacher. They, you know, they have a lot of supports that they can access in school. For them, coming back to school is going to be relief. But for a lot of students, especially quiet, introverted students, maybe they were having trouble with bullying or something in school. They'd be very anxious about coming yeah. back. There, there are so, so many of them out there, isn't there, that for for hope, for for whatever way or school might be the only bit of normality they have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think our job really as school community is to support as best we can the students and the parents and the teachers coming back. So I suppose if we can provide supports for people's children when they come into school, whereby all the stresses that they're dealing with, normal stresses to do with growing up and stresses to do with returning to school after the COVID-19 lockdown and the ongoing need to really deal with all the advice from public health and put that in place. School is going to be a very different place for students and for teachers now. Um, that we need these stress management skills more than we ever needed before and that the emphasis on, excuse me, looking after student well-being was always important. But I think we've seen now with, with COVID that students are going to need a whole other level of support and I think that's partly what these timetabled hours there that you have a teacher who has 40 minutes uninterrupted no academic work to cover where they can spend time with students you know building their resilience showing them the connection between physical activity and mental health mm. talking about their strengths and weaknesses and will the teacher maybe, will the teachers have specific training modules to help them to deliver this to the classes well that's part of what we were trying to put in place here is we want to make it as easy as possible for teachers to deliver this so when they subscribe to the Nurture for Wellbeing package, they have absolutely everything they need to go in and start teaching and just get on with the business of teaching wellbeing. So they will get safe if they started in first year. They'll have a plan for every single lesson for the whole entire year, as well as a kind of a broader scheme of work that talks about their goals and their targets that they need to achieve with kids throughout the year. And they'll have a PowerPoint then that goes with that lesson plan with all their learning goals and their statements of learning for students, taking students through it. Some of them have little embedded videos or exercises. And then the students have a student workbook we call the student journal. And they can buy that on on amazon.co.uk. What we found during the lockdown then, PJ, was teachers had their entire plan ready for them. 
they had their PowerPoints that they could do with the students over Zoom and they're up in the top right-hand corner teaching away themselves the little icon up at the top. Yeah. And students had their workbooks at home, their student journals at home. So the work continued uninterrupted. Um, and I think what we need really going back into school really is that programs are in place that even if there are localised closures or maybe a particular class is closed because of an outbreak of COVID, that learning can still continue. Okay. And it's the one thing I would say as well is I think it's really important to remind everybody that school buildings are buildings. You know, they're, they're bricks and mortar, but a school community is a living, breathing space that the teachers are there to support the students when they come back in. That will be their overriding um, their overriding goal, really, you know. Okay, all right. Well, where can people find more information, parents and stuff they want to look up at on this? Yeah, well, we're launching actually tomorrow morning, PJ, and it's Nurture for Wellbeing with the number four for four, yeah. nurtureforwellbeing.com. Um, or uh, schools and teachers could email us if they want further information at admin at nurture for wellbeing.com. And again, that four is the, the figure four, not the, okay. the word for. Oh, well, I wish you well and good luck. Thanks not just with You're it. very good. Not just with it, but with the return to school in general, which is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, is, hopefully it it hopefully in a positive way. Hopefully I hope so too. Well, we're, we're there to support the students. So we'll be doing our very best in that regard. All right. That's Aaron Driscoll, Nurture for Wellbeing. If you're interested, look, wellness is a thing now. They're putting it on the junior cert, wellness and everything that you kind of used to do for five minutes at the end of class or for half uh, half an hour once a week is now a properly timetabled course for a junior cycle. Um, nurture for Wellbeing, all one word, dot com to find out more. 1850-715-996. With regard to going back to school, uh, the legend that is Long Tom Welsh says, I can't see this being done safely. You have to wonder if the government that are just doing this to create an image of normality. Do you realise how hard it is to enforce rules in any sense nowadays? Really, I don't know how you go about ensuring that kids maintain hygiene. Angela uh, says, hi PJ, my son is 11, going into sixth class. Every year, without fail, he gets a runny nose once he goes back to school after about two or three weeks into the school year. He'll be out of school more than he'll be in it, as will many, many other children, says Angela in Carrigaline. And another call to 1857-15996 says, I've never seen a clean school toilet in my life. I think you should be giving the kids wipes for their hands and maybe kitchen towel or tissues as well, because they get very frustrated if they're trying to be good, but then if they have to touch door handles to leave the toilet block, for example. I do hope schools will take toilet hygiene more seriously from now on, though. 1850-715-996. Mental health, take it a little bit further uh, with our regular uh, child psychologist, Catherine Hallisey. Catherine, good morning again. Lovely to talk to you. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to talk to you too. People have been warning since almost the start of lockdown that when all this is over or when all this is under control, the next big epidemic will be mental health. Is that a fair prediction? You know, I think nobody knows for sure, but it makes perfect sense. We are social beings. We need to be around each other. And we have experienced an unprecedented in our lifetime event where we just can't be with our loved ones, where we can't hug them, where we can't be near them. And even as things are easing, 
our social interactions are still so different, whether it's because of masks or because of fear of doing the wrong thing. You know, even when I meet people, I always have that. I'm a hugger. And I always have that uncertainty, you know, I want to hug them, but I can't hug them, you know, and we have all this which is impacting our social interactions. Yeah. And that is layered on top of chronic underfunding of mental health services anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the changing practices, particularly during the early days of COVID, you know, GPs had to totally change their practice. You know, and GPs in primary care, they do 90% of the mental health care in Ireland. Yes. That's where the initial consultation is with your doctor. Exactly. So it's been a huge, huge change. Now, obviously, GPs are, you know, returning to the way they were working. But, you know, I suppose it is really, really important that we think about this and that we really think about all of the ways that we can protect our mental health and reach out to other people. There are so many small little things that we can do. Yeah. And then we obviously need um, investment at policy level as well. Are there people who just won't come to see someone like yourself because they're just too afraid to interact with someone? There are, you know, I suppose I have seen a you know a significant number of people looking for help, particularly now people like so my own line of work working with children. There is a huge increase now with parents reaching out around anxiety, returning to school anxiety and parents actually talking about their own anxiety. And lots of teachers have been in touch with me about their anxiety, about being back in a hotbed of being in a room with 30 people, Mm. small spaces, you know, so I think we're heading into another big change now. How do we actually, and I think parents will will be interested in this Catherine. Like over the next couple of weeks we are going to be trying to send the children back to school in in whatever way that we can. Is there any way that we can as parents sit them down appropriately to their age and prepare them? Well, funny you should mention that PJ. I actually have lots of stuff coming up for parents to support them on that. So at the start of COVID, I started doing a free parent talk every Tuesday evening on Facebook Live and on Instagram. And I also have a free parent club that you get a tip of the week into your email. And it's just small practical things that you can do. But just now today, I'm launching a membership for parents. So it's a low cost investment so that you can get advice. And this month, I'm going to be focusing on back to school Mm. and how to support your children And it's all about those conversations, the small practical things that you can do, that they aren't very onerous, but Mm. they will make a difference in managing your own anxiety as a parent and also your child. Who do you think is more nervous, Catherine? Is it Mammy or is it little Johnny? Who's more (laughs) nervous? I think it varies by household, um, but pretty much every parent I'm talking to is nervous. But not every child is nervous. Yeah, they just want to see their friends. They do, they do. Now, I think maybe why some of them, particularly primary school, why some of them aren't nervous is they don't know about the changes. Yeah. So I'm, my own anxiety as a mum is about the, the changes to the social interaction, the playground, all of those kinds of things. That's what I would be worried about as a parent. Mm. You know, and what is it going to look like? I guess we, we can all be nervous about change. Yeah. And also because we don't know what, it, what way it's going to stay. You know, the way it is next week might be different to the way it is in four weeks' time. And do we have a responsibility 
to keep our worry out of their minds? Very much so. You know, I think I think it's okay to say that, you know, we all have worries, but we've really got to separate what are our feelings, you know, what's our stuff and what's our children's stuff and really try and deal with our own feelings separately. Yeah. You know, and we need to be the container for their feelings so that they can release all of their big feelings in this safety yeah. and know that we can manage it and that we can contain it and it, it's just a way of them processing. We, we need to be their catcher. We need to catch their catch the worries, not not tell them about ours. Catch theirs. That's a, that's a fantastic way of describing it. We need to catch their worries, and then they can go off, and then we can do our own processing, yeah. whether it's with our significant other or our friends. Okay. You know, and it's. I think that's a really good way of describing. We, we, it. we might talk it. again, Catherine in the next week or two when the schools are going back because people will be coming forward I think with more and more concerns and we might talk again about it. Brilliant and for anybody who's worried check out my Facebook page I'm going to be doing stuff every day all this week and for the next four weeks really I'm going to have a lot of support for parents around this. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM Sometimes you might forget but every one of us is still at risk from COVID-19 But every time we do the right thing we're protecting ourselves and the people around us So next time you meet up just take a step back Let's all keep cleaning those hands and wear a face covering when you're shopping or on public transport. If you cough or sneeze, cover it or have a tissue handy. And download the COVID Tracker app to be one in more than a million. Because COVID-19 is still a problem. And we're all the answer. From the HSE. Cork's 96FM weather. With Blackwater Motors Volkswagen, Cork, Formoy and Skipperine. For amazing 202 offers and quality used cars. They are Volkswagen and Cork. Blackwatermotors.ie Humid and cloudy today with some showers around highs of 17 to 19 degrees. The current temperature is 16 degrees. You're now up to date on the home of the best music mix, Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. See this weather warning that they have for us. Uh, a rain, yellow rainfall warning for us. I sincerely hope that none of that falls down on top of the misfortunate people down uh, near near Landor or, or any of that area because they've had a hellish few days I was um, contacted last night by Senator Tim Lombard who, who told me that like some people down there have had their houses flooded twice in, in the space of a couple of days down there between Muscarbury and and, um, and Van Dore. It's terrible. And that road is still closed. As we speak, that little road that runs from, from Ross to, to Glendore. So it's, it's a terrible situation. You just hope against hope that Medeiron are wrong with this yellow weather warning for rain that we're going to get deluged again tonight. Sincerely hope they're wrong. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96vm.ie. Follow us on Twitter at opinionline 96 the hashtag OL96 and of course you can message the Cork's 96FM Facebook page 
and mark your message if you would please for the attention of the opinion line for supporters of Mount Cara I've been asked to mention this We'd like to let the supporters of the Save Mount Cara campaign know that vigils will take place every Wednesday at 7. The most recent update regarding closure being put off till January is just a HICWA requirement. We did clarify that on Friday morning when we had Dr John Sheehan, who's the new chair or has taken over the chair again of Mount Cara. They have to give his HICWA six months before it closes. So that's, it's not a reprieve as such. It is filling HICWA requirements. So they're still trying to get some package in place or some arrangement in place to save Mount Cara. It wasn't quite a reprieve. It just has to be done for the sake of HICWA. So those, um, those vigils are going to continue. And as regards Debenhams, and we spoke to, to Valerie about Debenhams and about, they, the strike, no matter what anybody tells you, the strike is still official. No one can make it an unofficial strike just because they want it to be an unofficial strike. The strike is official and conducted under the terms of industrial relations law. So have nobody tell you otherwise. Uh, they're also having a protest tomorrow outside KPMG on the South Mall. Excuse me, South Mall at 11 o'clock. And they would like some support from the people of Cork if such was forthcoming, which I'm sure it will be. 1850 I don't know if you've ever heard of a man called Alexander Lukashenko Alexander Lukashenko is the president of Belarus and he's been the president of Belarus pretty much since they invented a presidency over there he took office on the 20th of July 1994 and this is his sixth term of office And the people of Belarus are not happy with President Lukashenko. And there there have been massive protests on the streets of Minsk, the capital of Belarus, over the weekend. And here in Cork, the Belarusian community, which is small but vibrant, held its own protest uh, in, in, in the city. I just want to find out a little bit more about what is the problem? We have close connections to Belarus in Cork because of the connection with the Chernobyl disaster and the children affected by the Chernobyl disaster. We have my, my old and dear friend Fiona Corcoran involved with the Greater Chernobyl Cause for many, many years over and back to Belarus. What? So there is a very close Cork connection. But what is it about President Lukashenko that, that people have a problem with. What is what is his problem? What is their problem with him? Daria Verbitskaya, I hope that I am pronouncing that correctly. Daria, good morning. Good morning. Good you, morning, everyone. You've been living in Cork for, for how long? Um, for almost two years now. Okay. So not too, not too long time ago. Oh, you're um, picking up a Cork accent as well. <laughs> just a tad. I would say just a tad. <laughs> so tell me, Daria, t- t- tell, tell me about President... Uh, Lukashenko and, and why he is so unpopular? Um, so, first of all, I just would like to say thank you very much for giving me the opportunity uh, to uh, kind of share my opinion and uh, to speak today. Um, so, as most of the people, like loads of people, have heard that Belarus has been shaken for days uh, by widespread mass protests and uh, triggered by an election which was uh, widely thought to be rigged. Um, massively in favor of uh, longtime leader, uh, as you have already mentioned, Alexander Lukashenko. 
So this person, he has been in power for the last 26 years. Uh, so almost since the moment um, of the collapse of the USSR, um, so Lukashenko came into power and he has been in power since then. He has always been in favor of uh, keeping and preserving elements of uh, Soviet uh, communism and um, uh, all the uh, social media. It has completely been taken by the government since then. And uh, the powerful secret police is still called the KGB. And being honest, every time when I'm saying KGB, like literally shiver runs down my spine um, because it's just something what we grew up with. Yeah. And it's just a very, very, let's say a very scary uh, thing to mention. Uh, so it's just to say that this person he has been in power uh, for the last 26 years and Unfortunately, and it's a very, and trying very... To, uh, trying yeah, to oust yeah. him is is huge problem because is it a, is it a, someone called Svetlana Tchaik... Help me with the Tichanovskaya, name. Yeah, Tichanovskaya, yeah. yeah. Ran yeah, against yeah. him in the election. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what actually happened there, because people were, let's say people were actually asleep for the last 26 years, right? He was elected and he kept being re-elected and no one could actually do that because that... Uh, falsification kept happening there over the last uh, 26 years, right? So uh, then this year, together with the fact that actually new generation has grown up and people actually have realized that um, there is a ba- there is no future with that person because unfortunately with a heavy heart saying that Belarus is considered to be the last dictatorship country uh, in Europe now. And just let's say for me, I grew up and was born, was born and grew up in Belarus. It's, it's very, very thing, you know, guided to hear because there are so many beautiful things about Belarus we can say. And uh, due to the fact that all the other opponents, they were actually put into prison uh, during the election uh, process, you know, during the election yeah. campaign, this lady, um, she's actually the wife uh, whose uh, husband was sent to prison. And so she decided uh, to go ahead and, uh, you know, like try the uh, election campaign. Um, so this lady, she has been convinced and like she has been trying to convince the other people that she is not a politician. She's just a regular person, but she is there just to try to make changes in the country. Yeah. And again, uh, so, and, and again, he 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 won the election. And if you're to, if you were looking so, at it by a landslide, by all accounts, yeah, yeah. So when the day of elections actually arrived, like voting day arrived, uh, and widespread fears among the opposition about possible falsification, you know, with no independent observers invited, uh, these fears seem to be kind of well founded, you know, like there. And then when the results were actually kind of like you know announced. He won with 80% and she only got 10%. Yeah. So people went out. Uh, so first thing what actually happened, and like being honest, it's, it's just every time when I'm saying that, it's just like I'm literally having tears in my eyes because we couldn't contact our families like for almost three days. We had no idea what was happening there because it was just... Um, it was just really hard, you know, like we could see what was happening. Mm. Uh, we, we could see from here, but... We didn't know what was happening there with our families, with our friends. There was no connection. There was nothing happening. Like we, we couldn't get, you know, like the information from there. So violently, literally, just, violent just, Daria, yeah. just is it that you couldn't 
telephone them or what? Because they, there was uh, the internet uh, blackout. It started on the day of elections, the moment then, like, you know, like the, the results were supposed to be announced. So that actually was a blackout, internet blackout for a couple of days. So it cut the, inter- cut the internet so you couldn't yeah, contact they cut the inter- Yeah, yeah, we Just couldn't contact. Yeah. Talk, t- tell me about him as well. Of recently, he hit the headlines for a crazy attitude or what looks like a crazy attitude to COVID-19. Yeah, so I would say that was the biggest trigger uh, why people actually went out on the streets prior to the election campaign because, like, the whole world was shut down, right? And everyone took it very serious because it was very serious. People were, like, dying. And uh, what he said, that uh, it was actually some crazy thoughts in the West uh, and uh, we can't accept that. Because, like, there was no economy. Like, you know, economy was so low, so he couldn't actually afford, um, you know, like, putting the country under quarantine. So what he said, that people had to drink vodka, sit behind the tractor, and go and enjoy sauna. And that would actually treat all the drink virus. Drink vodka, drink vodka, yes, vodka. drive yeah. tractors, yeah, yeah. and take saunas. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that was the biggest trigger uh, what actually took people. That was kind of the last drop, I would say, you know, um, because it was already full, like, you know, and uh, that was the last drop. And people were like, we can't do, we can't deal with that. We can't do, we can't handle that anymore. Yeah. So people started coming out uh, with the very peaceful intentions. The, uh, people started getting out on peaceful demonstrations. But because no one expected that, so the police force was actually told uh, to start, you know, like negative behavior, negative attitude towards the peaceful demonstrants. Um, so once the election results were actually announced, uh, people went out and there were thousands, thousands of people like uh, on the streets. No one actually could believe that that was happening. That mm. was literally the moment, historical moment, everyone is saying that this is actually the historical moment in yeah. the history of... Uh, he he controls the, the so much with, every, with, yeah. with an iron fist, as it were, that it's impossible yeah. to take him on. And he, he, he's, a, he's a dictator. Oh, he, he is, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, all his politics and all his attitude and uh, uh, all his commands, Whatever he's saying now, it's just, it, it, like, no one can believe anything. Like, you know, no one believes his words. And he st- it seems like, I don't know, he lives in a parallel universe, being honest, because he still believes that people are for him. Uh, but that falsification in that massive amount, like, being honest, as a lot of people say, if falsification had been done, let's say, that he won with 60%, maybe that wouldn't have triggered that bad. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, but with 80% and uh, what is happening these days on the streets, like yeah. the first few days. The, yeah, EU, the, the EU has kind of sat back and watched him do this for years and never done anything about it, have they? Or never, never even tackled him on it? Well, uh, you know, there have been, like, first of all, Belarus is not part of the European Union, oh, yeah, yeah, right? That, yeah. So uh, Belarus has always had very, very tight relations with uh, um, with all the post-Soviet uh, countries, especially with Russia. 
So let's say once the USSR collapsed, uh, Lukashenko's policy was always, we just want to be with Russia. We don't, you know, like we don't want to have anything in common with uh, EU. And uh, like through the through the years, uh, EU uh, has been imposing sanctions, you know, like, and then let's say when the situation was kind of getting a bit better, then they were kind of removing them and uh, they were kind of setting back. You know, so it was kind of like, you know, um, some different countries, they were imposing some sanctions and then they were removing them. Um, so that was that kind of type of, uh, let's say, relations we have had um, because Belarus has never really kind of shown any interest, you know, like in uh, progressing with uh, relations, you know, with EU. So what do you see as the future for, for your loved ones back home? So, like, for the moment, we can just only hope um, and we strongly believe um, that something good will happen because uh, like everyone is out. There are so many walkouts now. Uh, people are going on strikes. Um, there are so many peaceful demonstrations. Um, so we just hope and we just really, really want to believe that there is going to be a change because what is happening these days with the violent um, attitude and aggression and brutality towards peaceful demonstrants it's, 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 it cannot be accepted these days. Like people who were actually sent to prison these days, um, what was happening there? Like, you know, they were tortured there. They were physically raped there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just like it, it, it cannot be accepted in the 21st century. And like we we're looking at the news and we realized that like those people, they're, they're, they're our nation, you know, and it's, it's very, very hard, you know, so that's why we are just trying... Have you, have to you family like back there, Daria? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, like, I have my family back there, my brother there, I have cousins, and... Uh, and are they okay? Know, like, have you been able to talk to them? Thanks, thanks God, yeah, we have been able to set up, you know, like, um, you know, like, back the connection when the internet was back, so we are able to communicate, but every time when, let's say, we are not able to contact someone, you know, like, within, like, probably, like, I don't know, 10 hours or something, there is already, you know, like, this panic. Yeah. Oh, my God, what is happening with them? Because even after date, you know, they promised that they are going to release all the people, all the people who have been sent to prison. Up to date, 81 person is missing. So their parents, they have no clue where they are. They probably, like they say, they probably keep them in prison because they, like, they probably beat, like, they have beaten them up to death and they're just not giving uh, their bodies back to the families, you know? And they can't, they can't admit that. This, 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 is, this is stuff we all thought was over 30 years ago. Exactly, exactly. But what they also say these days that... Only two people, only two people in the whole history of Belarus actually threw bombs there. Like that was Hitler and it's Lukashenko now. So it's very, so we just, we can just like from our side, we can just hope and um, we can just, uh, you know, like we can strongly believe that uh, there is going to be a change um, and uh, he will just have to leave. Like it's not going to be easy. Everyone is saying it's going to be, it's going to get probably worse before it gets uh, better. But uh, like it, it is already very bad these days, and uh, we just really hope. But the fact that people went out on the streets 
and the numbers of people there are not just like you know like one or two thousand there are like two hundred thousand people were yeah. out yesterday uh, yeah. on the streets for peaceful demonstrations so yeah. We and just hope that... Hope, hope that um, it's the start of a change. Daria, thank you. Yeah. And the best of luck to everyone yeah. connected with you back in, 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 in Belarus. I hope they, they stay safe. Uh, thank you. That's Daria Verbitskaya from Belarus, but uh, living now in Cork with the last couple of years. And the story of Alexander Lukashenko. And I, he's a, he was also in his time, he was a sportsman and an athlete and a soldier. And I thought at one stage he was an athlete that might have... Uh, run in Cork. I was confusing the name. They're all uh, Luke Shenko. I think Lubshenko was the guy I was thinking of. There was a B in there, that of a K. Anyway, 1850 The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With the indoor self service laundrette now at the junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Self service laundry.ie. Top 10 things that staff want their boss to do, okay? Doing something as simple as bringing a coffee to your staff. Yeah. Your boss saying thank you in a public email. Uh, when a boss asks for your opinion before making a decision, what do you think we should do? Uh, when you get taken out for lunch, it's fantastic and everything's paid for. Unless your boss is an assassin. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's. Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Courts 96FM. Thanks to whoever sent in this message to tell me that the woman whose name I was trying to pronounce and Dario was being helpful with me was Svetlana Sikunskaya, the woman who opposed. Uh, Alexander Lukashenko in the election. That would uh, Svetlana Tikhonskaya. She is a former Chernobyl child who came to Ireland many times for respite from the disaster. There's a lovely connection. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Again, you see, there's the tight connection with Cork, and that may be why there's so much loyalty here. Um, Louise says Daria is a very brave woman to send up to the KGB and Lukashenko even with families still at home under risk thanks for organising the protest and for your years of service to people with disabilities and institutions in Minsk you are amazing says Louise 1850-715-996 now we talk about getting the children back to school and all sorts and how important that is and indeed it is and we talk about trying to get businesses back up and running We wonder too, those of us who like them, will we ever again see a gig? Will we ever again see a proper concert? And we've missed so much this summer here in Corkett. The two festivals called off the Marquee and of course the the, uh, Independent Park series all called off. We had nothing for the whole summer. And we saw some pictures emerging in the last week or two of how we might do a concert going forward, as it were. One came from the UK, was at Newcastle, where they had little platforms, and the platforms held three or four different people, and your little platform was socially distanced from the next little platform. Another way to do it might be tables and chairs, and that's... Barcelona would be a huge 
city for summer music festivals. And of course, they too have had theirs cancelled. But Kieran Breslin was at a gig in Barcelona. Was it last week, Kieran? Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Um, it was. There's actually, it's actually a series of concerts, and I've been at two of them now. So I was at one last week and one a couple of weeks before that. Okay, and uh, it's 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 got a name. It's a festival, isn't it? Then it is. So it's organised by by Primavera Sounds, which is the sort of biggest festival in Barcelona, which was obviously cancelled this year. But they put on these these individual gigs throughout the summer to replace it, and they're called Neat Neat Del Forum. Um, and little individual socially little festivals. Right. So what I've got here, a picture from the Irish Times, is of a stage, a typical stage with a speaker array, and then in front of it what looks like loads of little tables and chairs. Yeah, that's it exactly. So the the stage has, there's behind those those chairs, like an amphitheatre, and like a natural amphitheater and they had they marked out individual spaces on that amphitheater for, and you had to stay in your in your little space and then if you're in the in the seats in front of the stage you had to stay you could stand up at your seat but you had to sort of stay at your seat you know you couldn't really you couldn't interact with other people in the crowd or anything because yeah. the normal crush of a gig is part of the enjoyment of a gig isn't it it is it is yeah it is i mean i would say these were a bit more like, you know, sort of a low-key seated gig or something like that. They, they bore more resemblance to that kind of thing than a normal music festival. And who, who was playing, for example, on, at the gigs you went, you went to? So all the acts are, are Spanish or based in Spain. Um, one of them was called Triangulo de Amor Bizarro, um, which is like Bizarre Love Triangle, like the New Order song. Oh, and yeah. another was called Heinz. Um, they're from Madrid and Galicia, the two of them. Right, so so we're we're not talking the Rolling Stones here. We're not, we're not, because it, it, when they were announced, there was no international travel or anything. They were very proactive in getting them on. To be honest, as soon as lockdown ended, they announced, and the capacity is very flexible, and they have all kinds of you know like regulations and stuff there to make sure that and um, everyone's wearing their masks and everyone is following the rules. So, so so what was it like, Kieran? It was. Like it was different from a from a regular gig in Barcelona in the summer for sure, but um, it, it was surreal. You know, it was um, everything is very spaced out in there. They have just like a normal festival. They have they have a load of bars. They have like food trucks. They have sort of DJs playing. This is before the main act goes beyond, and everything is very spaced out. Uh, there's all the, the area that the gig was on normally accommodates like I don't know six or seven as many people um, and it's and it's, so it's a small little crowd and yeah like the atmosphere is a little bit surreal but at the same time everyone the crowd was very like very happy to be seeing live music after so long you know yeah and how do you how do they police it in terms of people going up and down to the bar up and down to the food truck how, how do they organize that I mean surely you can't do table service in a place that size no, 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 no table service. To be honest, it's so spaced out that they, they that like they, they have so many bars comically far from each other, and and so are the tables that you um they don't really need to sort of they don't need to be too like strict once you're in there because everything is just so spaced out that everyone is not far away from each other. The only thing is when people are taking their seats and leaving their seats, they do that by by section. 
um, like by area of the of the of this um, venue that you're in. Yeah. But yeah. Do you have to wear masks? You have to wear masks all the time. In fact, the first one I went to, you they see, they sort of let you take your mask off if you were sitting down at a table, just the same as if that's the same as in a restaurant here in Spain at the moment in Catalonia. Um, and now, but then the second time that I went to, they were even more strict, and you had to wear your mask all the time. You could only take it away from your mouth for a minute to take a sip of your of your pint. <laughs> really. Yeah. yeah, because there has been a flare-up in in Spain, in many parts of Spain, particularly in Catalonia. Uh, and it was, did you was were you not close to going back to lockdown or? Well, there was some speculation about that. It's it's hard to predict. It's very hard to know, you know what's happening, what's going to happen. What I say is, there's been a flare in terms of cases for sure, um, but then there is like. There's been no kind of flare-up in terms of in terms of deaths or in terms of um, people in like critical conditions or, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think I think the numbers are like partly they seem they seem very high, um, but that's partly because I think they're just testing so many more people now. At the moment, they're they're kind of getting on with life as best they can here. Like restaurants and bars are open; they have to close quite early. Nightclubs can't open, but these gigs are still going on. So, okay. Well, you know what? It's an intro. It, it, it's it's something we're going to have to. Look at. We're going to have to get used to new ways of doing things if they're going to get done at all. How long have you been in in, in Barca? I've been. I've actually lived here on and off for a few years. I've been a year here at the moment. I also lived here for just before a few years before. All right. Okay. And would you would you prefer it to uh, to home? Where is home? Home is Donegal. Um, I would. Would I prefer it to Donegal? I mean, they both have their qualities, but. Uh, yeah, I'm happy enough in Barca at the moment. It's warmer at least. <laughs> All it's right. a lot, it's a lot Kieran, warmer. stay safe over there, mate. Thanks very much. That's Kieran Breslin. Went to a gig uh, in Barcelona, the Nit del Forum in Barcelona. All spaced out in, in a remarkable way. And the one thing I thought of, how, like, how does that pay for itself? How does that gig actually pay for itself? Like, imagine if you want to go and do that now down the marquee next year. Like the marquee, when it's sold out and absolutely rammed, holds between four and a half and five thousand people, depending on the gig. How many would you get into the marquee if we were all sitting at our own little tables? Or how many would you get into Irish Independent Park if we were all sitting at our own little tables? Or Parky Cueve? When Westlife come back to do those gigs next summer that they've promised they'll come back and do, would we all have to sit at little tables? And how many little tables would you get? And how would you keep people from getting up and throwing caution to the wind and themselves to the four winds um, when the songs get lively? How would you do all that? How is it possible to do on a large scale? It's great to see Barcelona experimenting, but as Kieran said, they're only they're Spanish bands and, and they're not big stars, they're not big global stars. So it's it's an experiment. It's one that might have to work. Peter Rose doesn't think it will, though. You posted on Facebook that it, 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 it won't work and it can't work. Morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. You had a picture of the one from Newcastle last week, which I must say now, and maybe I'm showing me age here a little bit, but the idea of my little private platform with three or four chairs on it, sitting to watch the gig. Once I get a pint in my hand and a burger in my other hand, I'm a happy bunny there, but it's not think- sustainable. I think most people would be. You know, it's great that people are thinking outside the boxes because re- realistically, that's what the industry needs. We need something that's 
not cram- not cramming people into the one field as it would be. But there's the, the picture itself didn't tell all the facts. You know, there's a lot of stuff from a technical perspective. My background is I've been in this for 20 years. I'm a sound engineer by trade, but work as a technician. So, like, it was funded by a billion uh, a billion pound company. You know, the stage is uh, set up with something in, in the region of about a quarter of a million pounds worth of staging and scaffolding. Um, the amount of man hours it would take to build 500 small platforms, which is basically what it was, 200, uh, two metre by two metre platforms, 500 of them. And I think they had some crowd barriers then for uh, just other people who, maybe for disabilities or whatever it was at the front of the stage. But a model like that, the promoters actually came out and said it would take them about 45 gigs or 45 days to turn a profit. Wow. So, like, if you put that over, the average Irish festival is about three days, maybe four if we can stretch it. Yeah. And if the weather is good enough to us, you know, it works out really, really well. People spend money and you can do that sort of stuff. But could you put a stage outside with, first of all, somebody was saying about it would only cost about 25000 to hire this stuff but somebody has to own it in order for you to hire it so yeah. the, the cost of that was you know if it, if it was say 25000 somebody has to own it so somebody has to be able to give it to you to build it but crew wise you're looking at doubling tripling your crew costs which then brings up the price of your tickets if the tickets were £60 each you know there was, an, there was up to five people allowed per stage yeah. per little uh, platform but if you put two people, the mass majority, it was two people, couples, which is the kind of normal gig kind of yeah. uh, layout. But £120 wouldn't cover the staging that they're standing on. So that's where this multinational comes in to be able to fund everything. They covered everything. They covered all the artist fees, covered all the crew fees. I suppose just to prove it could be done, Pete. I sub- like, there's absolutely nothing, nothing wrong, but how do you transfer a model like that to... The, the, the problems that the industry is going through right now. The life industry, the artist industry, yeah. you know, it's it's going through an unprecedented unprecedented dark times. You know, like they, they were talking about cleaning the toilets after each use. The staff alone, there was something like 75 port You know, the staffing that it would take to do that sort of stuff, they drink services to be delivered all through an app. You know, but how do you account for the person, as you say, with the pint in one hand, the burger in the other? who maybe has had a, a, a too, too many pints and not as many burgers yeah, and do, doesn't stay on the platform or sees the girl and he wants to go over and talk to her. How do you ensure that sort of stuff? That's right, because, I mean, just take something like something like, like a marquee gig or Parky Cueve gig, for example. I was at the Rod Stewart gig in, in Parky yeah. Cueve last, last year with, with, with my wife and my son. And in the two, two rows down from me, there's a buddy man I haven't seen in 20 years. The most natural thing in the world is go down and meet talk to this guy that you haven't seen for God you can't do that here you have to stay in your pod from start to finish yeah and I mean that is the most natural reaction like the, the, the thing about it is this idea was actually put forward there was a similar idea put forward by an Irish crew which was it was at the driving's um, concerts with Gavin, Gavin James yeah, headline. why did that get that looked like a great idea why did that get pulled it is a great. It is a great idea. I, I I personally don't know what the background was on it, but I I presume it was considered unsafe because this, because of the same reasons maybe people not being able to go. But the crew behind us are one of the most professional uh, in this country. You know, um, they had thought out everything and every possibility and ways to do it. But if you can have drive, if you can have drive in bingo in Ireland, 
you know, which is which is rampant now the whole way around the countries. If you can have driving bingo around the countries, what's the difference between that and yeah. maybe sitting in on a Sunday evening, maybe about two PM for about mm-hmm. ninety minutes? listening to Gavin James or listening to Picture This or whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, if they, if you can finance it, if you can get the five people in the car and they can cover the ticket cost, yeah. it's all about costing because there's there's really no money, you know, in this. The sector is the sector is, is, is devastated. You know, there's there's just so many things here. Do we it's very evident from what's gone on in the Irish events industry that we don't have anybody in government who knows exactly what the industry does. Yeah. And, and we've seen that with the with the pub payments. We've seen it now with no packages in place, with all the SMEs being left. Like, we have some of the best companies in Ireland supplying this stuff for big gigs, the Three Arena, the outside festivals. And they don't actually know what we do. And the government silence at the moment is... It's it's really stark. Yeah. You know, it's it's eerie when you when you walk these people are walking past their jobs, they're walking into their buildings yeah. with stock that would usually leave the warehouse empty. Yeah, yeah I, have, I have many, many friends in the, in the music and, and gigging industry, Peter, around Cork and practically I've, I've played DJ with practically every decent sized wedding band and just that just section of, the, of society and uh, the, the, the industry. And I, I would go to a lot of gigs in, in the summertime and I know a lot of people involved in the mm. gigs. And I'm thinking, like all these people, like, yes, it's, you know, it, was, it was the first industry to go out and it'll be the last one to come back. But would I be right in saying that nobody inside the door of Leinster House even seems to be thinking about how we might get it back? Well, that's it. Well, what we need is, first of all, we need somebody to understand what we do. Because what, what the industry does, what the life events industry does, theatre, music, it's not your conventional industry where you clock in at nine, you clock out at five. Like, we have people like uh, Epic and MEAI, you know, do, doing good work behind and minding creative minds or doing stuff to try to help people keep their mental health uh, in check. But our industry has a skill set that's kind of, it's not the conventional. We don't go to college for three to four years. Uh, to learn it, and then that's us. We we might go for three or four years, but it's 16 hours on the job learning every day over 15 or 20 years. That's how we gain our experience with something that is constantly changing. Yeah. You know, it doesn't... Technology doesn't stand still, therefore we don't stand still. What we need is... Uh, we need the government to be there for, for the crews until this comes back. Then people need support. You know, this is their livelihoods. They have families, they have mortgages, they have businesses. Um, until they can come back to work, it's not that they don't have a job. It's that government guidelines suggest and tell them that they shouldn't go back to work because we're people-to-people industries. And that, in turn, spreads the virus. But, you know, we need a, we need a strong baseline. We need something from government to even indicate what's going to happen. You know, there's nothing, there's no guidelines for our industry. There's general guidelines. Now, inevitably, what people will say, Pete, some people will be, well, sure, you know, concerts and gigs and events like that, they're luxury items. We don't have time for that. We, we don't, you know, we've got to prioritise schools and prioritise hospitals yeah. and all that kind of thing. Gigs are luxury items and, and we can take all this up when, when COVID is gone. Definitely. Look, there's no doubt that the pri- there, is, there is much more priorities um, you know, pressing the schools, the hospitals, the chance of a second wave, all this sort of stuff. But it doesn't it doesn't mean that we don't need uh, to hear from what is essentially our employer 
you know, about what's going to happen in the future. Um, it's just, the, the thing about the events industry is we provide we provide time for people outside of their work. Maybe there's stuff going on with their families. You know, we go to work when everybody else is unwinding. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, the artists and everybody, it's an escape for people. It's a safe and an, a, a vibrant environment for people to switch off for a, a while. Oh, for, yeah. You know, and we're probably looking at the biggest mental health crisis that this country's ever seen, probably the world has ever seen after such a pandemic because we're all so yeah. cute in. Yeah, but there, yeah. has, there has to be something, you know. It's it's. Yeah. It's, no, I was only it's, only commenting. It's, it's, radio, it's radio silence now at the moment, but like just a couple of stats, you know, for your listeners. There's thirty six thirty six thousand members involved in the events industry. We gross annually somewhere between three point five and four billion per year for the country, and for every euro that's invested in our industry, we return four. Wow. So, wow. You know, it's it's a highly gross and it's highly important to the country. You know, we're talking about recessions, we're talking about cash flows, we're talking about, you know, we're we're talking about all this stuff. But the the events industry returns so much money to the exchequer. It's important to try to figure out some way that we can, you know, that that can still be contributed. Yeah, that's a very valid point, Peter. You know, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say about Leo Varadkar saying about the concerts coming back. You know, that was one of his tweets over the last week, but. Leo Varadkar's in a point, in a place where he can he can change this. You know, he can listen to the people um, that are suffering, and you know the mics are off, uh, the lights are out, but eventually the mics will come back on and the lights will shine again. And when they do, we'll be very vocal about who was there in our darkest time, uh, and we will be heard and we will be seen. Like our whole culture is steeped in poets, storytellers, artists, actors, uh, songwriters, musicians. It's part of our bloodline. And of course, it's through every town and every country in this land. You know that's who we are. Yeah, yeah, it is, and we, and, and we shouldn't allow anyone to forget that because you might say, yes, it is. Obviously, entertainment is a luxury item, and it goes down the priority list when it comes to schools and hospitals and things like that. But we do need to, we do need to save it. We do need to resurrect it afterwards. Peter, thanks very much, Peter Rose, and a sound engineer, and then also Kieran Breslin before that. I have missed music this summer, like I've missed very little else. I really have missed music this summer because I'd go to between the between the marquee and the Irish Independent. I had about eight or nine gigs I was going to go. I was so looking forward to it, and it's my whole summer that element of of our summer as a family because the wife goes to some with me and my son goes to some with me. You know, was ripped away from us, and I missed it. I missed it, and it's I I dread the thought of the summer of 2021 without a little bit of live music. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction, Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. The Cork Diary. Courts 96 FM. Billy Bear's Picnic will be held in the garden of the Wallace Home Five Spittle Cottages Cloyne on Thursday the 20th of August and Friday the 21st of August from 10am. There'll be fun for all the family including adults and children's raffles, cake sales, toy shops and lots more and proceeds in aid of the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day Fund. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96FM 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. It's an interesting one to uh, maybe finish out the day on a lighter note. Uh, Sail the world when? 25 years ago, Barbara. That's right, PJ. 25 years ago, we set off on the 15th of August, which was Saturday. Saturday last was the 25th anniversary of our setting away. Where did you leave from? We left from Crosshaven. Um, We left early in the morning, very quiet, because it was quite a lot of, of excitement to get to that point. Yeah. and uh, came back two years later. What route did you follow? We took the normal route, the sort of uh, the M1 of, of uh, transatlantic trips, which meant we went over to France and down to uh, down by Portugal um, and across to the Canary Islands, and that's the sort of main set-off point across the Atlantic um, through the uh, Panama Canal and then on to the Galapagos Islands, and then to Polynesia, French Polynesia. Right. Um, you know, all the... And was it just a crazy notion that you took? We, you were about mad sailors, obviously, but, but it, <laughs> it was just well, a notion. That, uh, let's, let's go around the world for two years. Like, <laughs> Well, it started out as a great... Frank had a great desire to cross the Atlantic, and I thought, my God, that sounds like a terribly hard thing to do. And um, back in 94, the kids had all left home and um, we had a big house and we were kind of rattling on our own. And he heard of uh, an organised world rally. And we thought, I thought when I read the information, I thought, my gosh, I could manage that. Because whatever about the Atlantic, there's some fascinating places in the Pacific that one could get to and Australia and Bali and all that. Um, So we tried to sign up for that with the permission of the six kids, of course. Yeah. yeah. Youngest Sarah was 19 at that time and uh, the eldest was 27. So um, they all said, yes, go for it. But the rally was an English organised rally by the RAF uh, Yacht Club. Right. They were oversubscribed and they, after two weeks they got a letter saying, sorry, we can't take you, um, but we could take you in two years. But at that stage we had made up our own minds that this was something that we should do. We was, I was just um, 50. Um, no, I wasn't 50 yet. But thanks for and years was old. it your own boat? Uh, well, that's a good, sto- uh, interesting story as well, because we did have a boat at the time, obviously. We had a few boats and we were kind of getting more and more accustomed to sailing, having come to Crosshaven in 74 uh, from Dublin. But the boat that we had at that time would not have made the world trip. So we had to sell it. And we had quite a difficulty finding a suitable boat at the sort of cost that we could uh, afford, which wasn't yeah. a lot of money. And and just the two of you on the boat for two I years. Know. Any any hairy encounters along the way? <laughs> lots of hairy encounters. Lots of hairy encounters. I suppose the most dramatic one was when we were in the Red Sea, um, going into um, the Sudan. Yeah. Um, we, we our engine gave up on us and we had to come in very quietly at night with, um, you know, trying to raise the, the authorities, but we couldn't raise anybody on the radio and the next thing, shots were being fired at us. Oh, lovely. So that was, yeah, that was a big warm, the warmest welcome we probably got anywhere. <laughs> but... <laughs> Why, why, why were they shooting at you? They, because they couldn't, um, they, we were sailing. Normally a person would be motoring up there as a difficult part of, the, you know. The, oh, yeah. 
reefs and stuff around. Oh, so you weren't like using your engine because it was banjax? No, no, because it was not. Exactly, exactly. We were going so you were sailing up. They thought you were <laughs> sneaking in. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But they were very kind the next day to us when it was all sorted out. And people who were already ahead of us were helped us and, you know, a little dinghy came out and brought us in Brilliant. and stuff like that. Brilliant. So, yeah. now, now 20, 25 years on, you restaged mm-hmm. the moment. We did. Yes. How did you get about that? Because you don't have that boat anymore, obviously. No, no, no. We we had to sell our house in order to afford that boat. So um, <laughs> when we came back to... But we had bought a site. That was the wonderful thing. We bought a site on the coast road, uh, Myrtleville. Oh, and yeah. uh, we came back and we lived initially with my sister, who sadly was terminally ill, even though we didn't realise it. Oh. But anyway, we had to sell the boat in order to build the house. Right. So, as it turned out, um, one of one of my son's teachers bought the boat from a, a man from Kinsale. Right. And the boat, having brought it to the Mediterranean, is now back in Kinsale. And we were able to go down with his permission and take a few shots. There's a lovely him. picture. Your, your daughter has tweeted a, a lovely picture of oh. then and now. <laughs> That's right. Yes. She, yes. Says, yes. she said... Um, <laughs> my mum and dad celebrating 25 years since their big yeah. adventure sailing around the world back on board their old boat today looking only about five minutes older and a bit more chilled <laughs> oh she's very <laughs> it's marvellous it's marvellous some some of us would like to celebrate a 50th by maybe getting pampered in Monaco for a few weeks but <laughs> no listen it's great It's and did, I, did you take thousands of photographs and we took lots of pictures and um, made a video. It didn't turn out terribly well, but RTE helped us a bit in that. And um, we, uh, I wrote a book then when I came back. And just this year, I finally published it as an e-book. So now it's available. So, you know, never too late, I I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Barbara, listen, I'm delighted to talk to you. Lovely way to end the show on a Monday. And thank you very much. That's Barbara Fitzgibbon, who tra- travelled around the world 25 years ago. And celebrated the 25 years of it this weekend. Thanks, Barbara. 1850 One last mention before I go. Can I wish the very, very best of luck to my dear old friend, one of my best friends in music, and that's Ruby Tina. Ruby got a single out this week, and she's asking us all to support her. It's called Roses. And I promise I'll give her a little mention before we head away today. Really hope that you'll be hearing a lot more of that song. When London to Ruby Tina, and congratulations and best of luck. And there's loads of people at music out. I'll be inundated now, but I did that one. Be killed for it. Who cares? That's it for today. Thank you to Fergal who edited the show. To Doc Martin, welcome to the team, Doc. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.